Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and can you stop calling podcasting a hobby, Dad? <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. You know, guys, I'm so glad Steven Spielberg had a chance to explore his legacy and the impact of cinema on popular culture. Thanks for Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I'm Jeff Kanata, and finally, a movie about the power of movies. <laughs> Indeed. Well, those are, of course, all extremely vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing Steven Spielberg's newest film, The Fablemans, which is out right now in theaters. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at thefilmcastpod. Uh, before we get to that, of course, we got a couple of quick film news items to discuss, as well as some what we've been watching. Uh, I want to check in with you guys, though. How was your Thanksgiving? Divinder Hardware, how was your Thanksgiving this year? It was pretty good. Um, I, I felt like we could safely have, you know, my family over. So that was nice. Um, and my brother and his girlfriend also like stayed over. So we had a bit of a sleepover and everybody hung out. And we watched the movies. I introduced my brother's girlfriend to Old Boy, which is... You know, amazing, the great family work, perennial Thanksgiving treats. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, wow. if you're if you're in my house, if you're trapped in my house, uh, you're gonna be watching Old Boy if you haven't seen it before. I mean, so we had fun. I, I don't know what percentage of our audience has seen Old Boy. Uh, I know. I, that, I hope a large percentage. I know that the percentage on this film cast is only sixty six percent that has seen <laughs> Old Boy. But oh, Old man. Boy, Old Boy is one of the most effed up movies i've ever seen in my entire but, life. but also just re i haven't seen it in a couple of years just like re-watching it the opening sequences the opening frame of that goddamn movie it's like talk about the power of cinema watching old boy just like will will wipe you out yeah mm -hmm. yeah uh anyway you know people questioning my judgment for watching pleasure i know a on good time. a plane uh davindra showing his family his brother and his girlfriend old boy yeah something they wanted to see <laughs> see with, with their permission that's how it works all right jeff cut out how was your thanksgiving oh it was okay <laughs> there was um so two years ago my uh our, my little nephew uh was in the hospital last year my daughter was in the hospital for thanksgiving mm -hmm. uh and this year uh my uh other little nephew was in the hospital Aww. For Thanksgiving, uh, very sick. Uh, then uh, the uh, other cousins started getting sick. Oh, we traveled to Chicago, by the way, uh, and the so we fled. We fled the sickness <laughs> and 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 cut our trip short. Uh, changed our flights and flew home early uh, because we were terrified of the kids getting sick. Oof. And now, uh, yeah, yeah, my daughter stayed home from school today, but I was there in Chicago long enough. To meet up with a friend and friend of the show, Danish Syed. We had a great time. Uh, hey. dinner, went to an arcade in in, uh, in Chicago. It was, a, it was delightful to see him in person. So I, 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 there was a silver lining to a, a trip that was marred with a dark cloud. But mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you got to have some good times. Um, I was able to spend Thanksgiving with my family. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. My brother's child had RSV. And so we kind of, and he was still getting over it. So we kind of skipped, yeah. he, he opted, you know, him and his family opted out of our Thanksgiving celebration, but we got to have a redo a couple of days later, uh, with just, uh, my family. And so that was nice. Um, but you know, 
It's been a rough uh, couple of years because we basically haven't. It's been hard to over the course of the last three years, like you know, certainly the first year, but uh, and to a lesser extent the the years following. Mm-hmm. It's been hard to see everyone, and so it's always something. Yeah, yeah it's nice to see everyone. Nice to see everyone this year. But did you? I mean, I hope like uh, you know, uh, taping up your TV in bubble wrap, Dave. I hope that didn't <laughs> go to waste. I hope you like you had a reason to have your nephew over at some point. I you know okay, so Devendra is referring to a recent filmcast after dark segment or a couple of segments in which we discussed uh, my nephew's proclivity to go over <laughs> to my seventy seven inch OLED television in the living room. And touch it or take a yeah. truck, like a toy truck, and like run it's, it along it. It's a it. giant obelisk, you know? <laughs> You're supposed to worship it. If we know anything from 2001, you take a bone mm-hmm. and you smack the obelisk. Smash it. Mm-hmm. You smash mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's exactly what happened at the beginning of 2001. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, there was also a subsequent uh, addendum to that After Dark, which, by the way, you really got to listen to these things at patreon.com slash film podcast, uh, where somebody described uh, having a party with a lot of different families and a three-year-old child picked up, I believe it was a remote, and hurled it at his television, <laughs> smashing it. Um, and we discussed like how awkward that would be and how weird it would be and how you need to have a gate and how even a gate might not protect it because you need to put some bubble wrap or something over the TV. Well, let me just say, guys, that this this year uh, definitely points for team bubble wrap uh, <laughs> after the events of this this Thanksgiving weekend. Um, we did get a gate. OK, but we used the gate on the stairs because, you know, we joke. Yeah. We, jo- we like to joke around. On here on the film cast occasionally, but at the end of the day, I do not want my nephew to fall down the stairs. Yeah. And that you is got more a lot of, of stairs. That yeah. is more. Yeah, my stairs are steep and they're large, and, and I am more more concerned about that than that my TV gets damaged. And how could anybody get two gates? That just seems impossible. A hundred percent. Like, <laughs> I mean, I will say the, that gate that we have was willed to us by someone else. So. <laughs> Uh, Someone would have would to literally to spend... die for you to get a second gate. <laughs> Someone would literally need to go to Target and spend, I'm guessing, $25 on a gate. Um, so who has the time or the money for that? You know, that's an open question. Um, but also, uh, so, so or, all right, so the nephew, he's starting to get a little older. He's starting to get a little wiser. And, you know, uh, he has a, he had a car. He, he had a toy car. He's running it, running it alongside our couch. Real harsh, you know, in a very, in a very adorable way. Like I, I encourage this, but I'm like, I wonder if he did that to our TV, what would happen? And uh, that would be pretty bad. Also, at one point, he picked up a remote, and I was like, is this, is this it? Is this when it, is this when it begins? Dave's, um, Dave's Thanksgiving is Dave. Everybody's eating in here. Come in, inside. And Dave's just standing sentry in front of the television. Yeah, I'm bubble wrapping the TV, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyway, the nephew is very, very adorable and very cute, and we all love him and uh, and hold him very dear. And also, I fear for the day when he will inevitably destroy my TV. This is like uh, this is like the Ragnarok prophecy in God of War Ragnarok. Yeah, basically, yeah. it's like one I, I day my nephew, fine. my <laughs> nephew will eventually destroy my OLED television. You know, and, you know, and I will do what I can kids to prevent going it. around here, Dave. Like uh, our TVs have been fine, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've literally never stressed about that. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, of course, of course. I mean, most families don't need to. I, I need to because the fact that uh, I have spoken it into existence means it's going to happen now. You know what I'm saying? Like, because we talked about it so extensively on the, par- the podcast, it will have to happen. That's how so, it works. Yeah, That's how it works. That's how it works. Anyway, 
the, you know, the, the irony of those uh, prophecies is the more you do to prevent it, the more you manifest it into happening, you know? It's, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I'm doing right now. That's what yeah. I'm doing right now. Anyway, uh, th- those were our Thanksgivings, uh, and we hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving out there. Of course, one of the things we are hugely thankful for is all the folks at patreon.com slash film podcast that make our show possible. You can sign up for ad-free episodes, exclusive After Darks, Last week, we discussed Tar, the new Todd Field uh, movie, with spoilers. This week, we're going to be spoiling Andor Season 1 on the Filmcast After Dark. Uh, and also coming up in the next couple weeks, uh, if not in this week's After Dark, uh, a a game of sorts. Uh, the game is afoot, as it were. <laughs> uh, and somebody named Jacob, a listener named Jacob, sent in a, a lovely game for us to play. And all the clues are already written. I'm really excited about it. The game, by the way, is called Media Mashup. Um, uh yeah so i believe that's a old totally red show game yes, yes, ah. yes um i i think that was called title fights on trs though? no we also had that oh, we had a bunch okay. of games on TRS. i see i see okay so yeah so it is a trs throwback um yeah that we're gonna do here on the filmcast so anyway patreon.com slash film podcast is how you can sign up for uh conversations about tar and about andor and media mashup and also uh remote controls getting hurled at tv screens so thanks to everyone at patreon.com slash film podcast for making our podcast possible uh i wanted to mention that uh, you know we on this podcast on occasion on the rare occasion we have had the opportunity to be written up in prestigious publications uh to get mentioned as a top podcast or film podcast of some kind uh, and it is it is very rare. Like on a rare occasion, uh, we will get mentioned somewhere that like literally everyone has seen, and they will start messaging us furiously about it. And that seemed to happen this week when the film cast was offhandedly mentioned uh, in a video by a YouTube channel called Corridor Crew. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Corridor Crew. Uh, mm-hmm. They are a very well regarded uh, YouTube channel. And they do these cool things like VFX artists reacts to great and bad VFX, you know, or animators react to great and terrible animation in movies or stuntmen react to great and terrible stunts in movies. And so they will sit people down who are well-known or well-regarded in their field and they will ask them to react to, you know, particularly notable examples of good or bad stuff that they're skilled at. Um, in this week, or uh, last week, I think it was, there was a video about animators reacting to great and bad animation. And one guest that they had on this episode was somebody named Patrick Osborne, who is a listener to this podcast. Uh, Patrick Osborne directed Feast, which I think was an Academy Award-nominated short animated film, if I'm not mistaken. And so very obviously very talented person. And the corridor crew got Patrick Osborne and friend to discuss Bratz Rock Angels. You guys seen <laughs> Bratz Rock Angels? No. no. Has anyone? <laughs> so it, well, it is a pretty terrible movie, but it, it the the conversation they had on it was actually quite lovely and edifying. Like there were there were a couple of great things that came out of that conversation. Um, one of which is that like when, when you're just starting out in the industry you work on something like Bratz Rock Angels to kind of learn how to animate things. And it's yeah. like, 
you know, it, not very many people will see it. It's not particularly good, but you like make a lot of mistakes and it's like a critical proving ground for people. You cut your teeth on brats. That's what they say. <laughs> that's the old, the old, the old chestnut. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, whenever I'm having lunch in Hollywood, I'm always hearing mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. say, I'm cutting my teeth on brats today. Yeah. <laughs> We're really going to put this brat spot in my highlight reel. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Make sure yeah, it's yeah, right in there, up front. You want to make it in this business? You got to cut your teeth on brats. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, but seriously, they are like, they are, they're not like uh, mean-spirited about it. They're very like, everyone's got to start somewhere. Sure. Uh, and like, and also like, they probably made Bratz, as far as I can tell, Bratz Rock Angels, the movie, they, they probably made Bratz Rock Angels and probably my guess is like uh, nine days, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm just joking, you know, like, but they probably had like impossible sort of timelines on these kinds of movies. Isn't the saddest um, thing about Bratz Rock Angels is that they, they felt the need to put a subtitle to make room for the inevitable franchising you know, mm. this They're is like, a we gotta... follow up to the original Bratz movie. Yeah, I there were there there were others. Oh, yeah, this was there, a, this there was is a, a franchise. Sequel? Yeah, Jeff, yes. there are other. It is. Oh my yeah. god, Jesus! I thought this was the yeah, first was one, and they were already just thinking about sequels. But uh, I should have known better than yeah. that. What, what was mean, the first one called? Just guess. The Bratz Cinematic Universe. Was it just called Bratz the movie? That's what I would it's think. Just Bratz. Yeah. Bratz. I mean. There are two major crimes that have already been divulged on this podcast by Jeff Kanata. Number one, uh, not seeing, to, seeing old boy. To, we don't have to. Yeah, we don't have to rec- recap my my crimes. Not not seeing old boy. Number two, not knowing that Bratz, uh, the animated films, are a franchise. I mean, Jeff is unfamiliar with films like the 2004 film Bratz, starring and Stylin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bratz Babies, the movie, which was Babies with the Z. Oh my God, there's yeah, so babies. many of them. Bratz Passion for Fashion Diamonds, <laughs> that was released in 2006. Bratz Fashion Pixies, Bratz mm-hmm. Super Babies, Bratz Genie Magic. There was even a live action. Is that live action movie actually based on the Bratz? Yes, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I yep. have to believe it is. There, oh, you know, there is. Man. What there a are, brand. This is one of the strongest brands I in like child. Shocked programming yeah. there are enough yeah. brats animated movies that literally all <laughs> animators could have cut their teeth on brats yeah <laughs> indeed so anyway at the no end shame. No shame. At, the, at the end of this corridor crew video patrick osborne says or not i don't think the first voice you'll hear is patrick's but it's the last voice you'll hear um but they're talking about how easy it is or relatively easy it is for somebody who works at like disney or dreamworks compared to somebody who works at on, on Bratz movies to uh, to make uh, a Bratz movie. And here is a clip from that conversation. If you felt a Disney animator to make as much footage as they probably had to do, <laughs> I don't know how yeah. different it would look. Also, <laughs> these big studios, you have libraries of poses that have been looked at, designed. You have a better starting point. If you're given a rig that barely works and no prep work because you just have to go, it's harder to get to the point they're getting to. It's a much different process to elevate what's already there, where a lot of the decisions are made, than it is to be given a shot where you go, she's looking at the computer, figure it out, it's 10 minutes long. And you're like, <laughs> what? These two sequences together is the size of feast. <laughs> and almost nothing happens from what I can tell. <laughs> and they're like, you'll figure it out. Yeah. It's a feat to make anything and finish it. Now, at the end of the film cast episodes of the review movies, they always end it with, and so and so, that whatever director made a film, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah, there you go. Regardless of what we think. How, how fast sped up was yeah. that? Yeah, Dave, Dave. What's, what's going on? I, I feel like you're betraying us with your your ramped up speed of the is this how you listen to podcasts you know i i think you just just revealed yourself another crime let me just say let me just say i may have accidentally left my youtube player on 1.5 speed oh i see (laughs) just just actually oh Oh, somebody else must have flipped that yeah, off. So, somebody, some somebody else must have accidentally left that setting on when I uh-huh. made the, the hypocrisy report, right? revealed. <laughs> no hypocrisy. Amazing. 
I, you know, uh, Jeff, when I'm making clips with, I'm, I'm clicking around and making clicks everywhere. You know, I'm making. You guys know how hard it is to record all these clips in advance. I'm mm-hmm. making clips left and right. Now I'm worried about my Fablemans trailer clip. Maybe David. <laughs> I've Hopefully. never been so disappointed in you. I was listening. I was like, something doesn't quite sound right about this clip. Like, <laughs> well, anyway, these guys are speaking very fast. Uh, wow. <laughs> okay, now now I really am worried about the Fableman. So anyway, if, if, the, if the Fableman's clip is sped up, then Steven Spielberg, please, I beg your forgiveness. Um, mm. But anyway, well, that, I'm sure Spielberg prefers this movie is listened to at one and a half speed. I think 100%, that's percent. Yeah. Well, anyway, sorry, Patrick, about that. Um, but anyway, uh, hey, cool to get a shout out. Also, we got probably approximately, I don't know, a couple dozen pings about that in the last like nice. few days. People yeah. being like, hey, you guys were mentioned in the quarter crew, which makes me realize, wow. Corridor crew is incredibly popular amongst our audience. Mm. You know, it should also be popular amongst the audience. Uh, YouTube.com slash slash filmcast. If you're enjoying Corridor Crew, yeah. subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash slash filmcast. I hear so, our Patreon is pretty happening too. Yeah. Exactly. Patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, another great place to get uh, some cool film related material. So anyway, a big thank you to Patrick Osborne for shouting us out in a major video. And a huge thanks to Corridor Crew for not editing that out. Uh, really, really appreciate it. You guys really did us a solid on that one. So uh, and sorry, I played your footage. Sped up. I, I'm, I'm sitting here just, I don't even know what's wow. real anymore, David. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about a sponsor. We'll be right back with more Filmcast. Hey, it's time to tell you about our sponsor, Sizzle Pitch. You're a movie fan. I'm a movie fan. We wouldn't even be here if we weren't movie fans. Do you love movie special features? Oh, I do. I love movie special features. Do you wish you had more access to the behind the scenes of the making of movies? Yes! Or maybe you're a filmmaker looking for ways to learn about the filmmaking process. Oh, man. You got to hear about Sizzle Pitch. Could be perfect for you. Sizzle Pitch gives anyone access to making movie magic with zero experience required by helping create sizzle reels, which are mini film projects that filmmakers use to show what their idea could become in a feature film or TV show. Barbarian, awesome movie. Deadpool, hilarious movie. The Matrix, I guess it was okay. What do all these movies have in common? Well, they all started off as sizzle reel proof of concepts. With Sizzle Pitch, You'll get to choose from a variety of genres, including horror, comedy, sci-fi, and drama. Whatever your tastes, you'll learn about the entire filmmaking process from producing to special effects to meeting cast and crew. It's a bit like crowdfunding, but you get way more than just a t-shirt for your participation. Go to sizzlepitch.com right now to sign up or gift that cinephile in your life something truly special. On top of the introductory launch pricing, use promo code FILMCAST for $100 off one sizzle project. That's promo code FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, at sizzlepitch.com, S-I-Z-Z-L-E-P-I-T-C-H.com, sizzlepitch, making independent films with you. Before we get to what we've been watching this week, guys, I wanted to talk about... Uh, well, I mentioned a couple of passings that have happened recently. Devendra, there was somebody who passed this week that you wanted to talk about, right? 
For sure. And somebody, a name that I'm sure is familiar to much of our audience, Albert Pyun, the Hawaiian Asian-American filmmaker, the guy behind The Sword and the Sorcerer, and also a lot of like B-grade movies, but I, I grew up on these movies, guys. Cyborg, Kickboxer 2, yes. especially Nemesis. Nemesis was this crazy-ass like cyberpunk action movie. Uh, there was a clip floating around on Twitter, and just like the gunplay of it, People like shooting bullet holes through walls and through floors to kind of like fall through uh, something Underworld stole, you know, many, many years later. This guy was just a visionary in terms of like super schlocky action movies. I ate this stuff up. So I, 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 Jeff, Dave, I'm sure you've probably run into one of his movies or seen them on TV at some point. Um, He also did Brain Smasher, a love story, that Mm -hmm. movie starring Andrew Dice Clay and Terry Hatcher. Just like the stuff I would find in the video store, you know, um, yeah, that yeah, really yeah. Touch. and I just want to shout out because first of all, not many Asian American filmmakers uh, happening in, in that time, in the 80s and 90s. And also this guy was just like relentless, like he just um, kind of did the impossible at times. I've joked about the Captain America movie that he did in 1990 with J.D. Salinger's son. Uh, that movie, I'm just looking at the the article on Slash Film, like it was originally going to have a $6 million budget and they just cut it in half. He still made the movie. You know, it's not <laughs> a great movie, but he finished it. Talk about a miracle that a movie got made. Um, so yeah, I just want to like throw a shout out to this guy. Like he was a major part of my childhood and I, I think even schlocky movies like deserve their place. And I'm so glad like he was here to make them. Indeed. Jean-Claude Van Damme was a big part of my childhood. Uh, Seriously, John Club and Dem's movies. You know, those were a lot of uh, what I had access to in terms of action movies, and it was movies like Cyborg and Kickboxer and so on. Um, there, there is a director's cut of Cyborg that is out there now, um, which has a different name. It's called Slinger, mm. which was the original German like name of Cyborg. But I have not seen that. But you know what? In his honor, I need to check this out at some point. Indeed, indeed. Well, R.I.P. Albert Pyun. Um, but also someone else passed in, in the entertainment industry that's very beloved by all. Irene Cara. Uh, Jeff Kanata, I think you have very fond feelings for Irene Cara's work. Is that correct? I do. I do. I mean, as a, as a child of the 80s, uh, her voice was the soundtrack of movies. I mean, uh, Flashdance, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, what a Feeling song. Um, she won an Academy Award for it. Uh, and deservedly so. It's, it's an incredible song. And it you know, was like... The, uh, constant rotation in in my youth, uh, and of course, fame. You know the the theme song for Fame. Uh, I'm gonna live forever. Um, it's uh, she was an incredible talent. I learned in, in her passing. I wasn't even aware of this that she was like a child star. She was a prodigy, a a young hmm. kid who was performing on television at like age eight, uh, singing and performing, and uh, had an incredibly um, a wonderful career. And and all the news that came out after her passing was that she was such a, a decent, wonderful human being. And that's always great to hear as well. But, um, you know, such a voice of the movies, you mm-hmm. know, not one, but two iconic uh, film and TV uh, theme songs, um, not, not even theme songs, but just, you know, like these, these sort of anthems. Uh, her songs are not just sort of, you know, a theme song describing this the story of a, or the the, the uh, immerse, emotional journey of characters in a movie. They're anthems. They're these like you know you sing them out. You know what a feeling is fame. These these are powerful uh, songs that that really were 
so much a part of the 80s as a as a decade of cinema and she died so young you know she's only 63 it's incredibly sad that she, she passed so young um but uh, an incredible talent irene cara indeed uh and a huge thanks to both albert pion and irene cara for all their contributions to pop culture and the stuff that we talk about each week here on the filmcast all right folks let's move on let us talk about what we have been watching this week. Jeff Kanata. I have seen a nonstop blitz on my Apple TV app for a movie called Spirited. Indeed. <laughs> starring Ryan Reynolds and uh, Will Ferrell. And I have wondered whether this movie is any good whatsoever. Now, this is on your What We've Been Watching list. Tell us what you thought about Spirited. Yes. Uh, you know, it, I had a, a all too brief stay with my in-laws, but one of the things we did was put on this movie for all the adults after the kids went to bed. Because uh, everybody was excited to, to get some some fun holiday cheer with uh, two very charismatic, mm-hmm. funny people at the leads. Yeah. Uh, what I did not know is that this is a full-on musical. Like, full-on musical. Uh, with with big how, how how on of a musical is it, Jeff? On, what? not just a couple of songs here and there. We're not talking just, not just partially on. No, it's like a full all on. the way on. It's fully all the on. way on. Uh, <laughs> and I think honestly, I mean, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of musicals, as you guys are aware. Uh, I I enjoy musical every now and then, but that's not my preferred genre. Uh, and there are a couple of tunes there are a couple of numbers that are uh, rousing and fun and and good but i think overall the fact that this is a musical is a massive detriment to my enjoyment of spirited mm-hmm. i think i think overall this is an entirely skippable movie and uh that's a shame because the talent involved and i think the concept is really clever the idea here is that uh, this is basically Scrooged meets Monsters, Inc. So it's like, you know, uh, Scrooged, the idea of Scrooged is that the thing that happened to uh, to to Scrooge in the mm-hmm. classic tale uh, is something that happens frequently, like that, that people get Scrooged, right? And that is retained in this movie, Inspirited, but we're actually hanging out with the crew that does the Scroogings. Right? This is like the Monsters, mm. Inc. crew behind the scenes of all the people that go into this production to show you your Christmas past, present, and future and get you to reform and renounce your terrible, terrible ways and become a changed person. So Will Ferrell plays uh, the, the, the ghost of Christmas present and uh, has a, a number of other ghosts. And it is their story trying to reform a uh, a horrible person in in the form of Ryan Reynolds. That's a clever idea. That's a very clever idea, I think. Uh, and there are a number of uh, clever ideas peppered throughout this, and uh, fun moments. And and I had a few chuckles, but overall, it just didn't work well for me at all. And and most of the time, when the musical numbers start, it it feels like the movie just comes to a grinding halt, mm. which is not what you want from a musical number. As, as I mentioned, there are a couple that work, and there are a couple, I think, really funny ideas, one of which is that, you know, is, is, is playing with this notion that, uh, that this sort of, um, uh, you know, 19th century uh, Will Ferrell character 
has a hard time understanding the modern world. And there's a lot of fun, you know, um, playing with the norms then and the norms now. There's a, there's a few funny moments, but overall the movie is way too long. The musical numbers, I feel like really drag it down. And ultimately it is a movie that I have a hard time recommending. Even if you're just looking for something silly to put on, there are a thousand other better options, I think, for fun uh, Christmas movies. Just put on Scrooge again. It's a much better movie, in my opinion. I want, and, yeah, I actually coincidentally watched Scrooge this week. Um, it's so, so good. I'm going to talk good. about fun. that in my world watching. But yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, sorry you did not enjoy Spirited, Jeff, which is yeah. available now on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, I have not, I've not heard a groundswell of recommendations for this one even though i've probably seen an ad for it approximately 80 times in the last yeah Um, i'm sure they spent a pretty penny on this movie yeah and they want to get their uh return on investment but like i said i I mean if you're looking for a fun funny christmas movie i mean just watch national lampoon's christmas vacation again or you know uh, there's a a dozen better options in my opinion than this Mm -hmm. one Mm mm-hmm well, that's Spirited. It's available on Apple TV+. Plus. Jeff, what else have you been watching this week? Well, keeping with the Christmas theme, I mean, it is it is the season. Uh, I also checked out the new Christmas special on Disney+. Plus In the MCU, the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. Uh, <laughs> this is a, a short, fun... It seems like a weird side project, but... Everybody's involved, right? The entire the entire <laughs> mm-hmm. crew. The uh, James Gunn uh, wrote and directed it, and it's uh, it, it it actually I think is he, in. He canon. must have done that. He must have done that like in between his negotiations to be the head of DC. Know, basically, yeah. this guy, this no. guy, his 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 table scraps are you know more <laughs> valuable than anything I'll ever make. Um, he, uh, it, it's. I did not love it. I, I did not love it. Um, <laughs> what? Wow. I am stunned. Because I know. Jeff, Jeff is like 99% of the time in the tank for Marvel stuff. I am in the tank for Marvel yeah. 90% of the time. I <clears throat> It achieves the giant IP doing a Christmas special trope, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is it completely undermines the IP <laughs> and makes everything feel cheap. And kind of ruins any suspension of disbelief that you have that these are larger than life characters. It's like, well, if that's the game we're playing, you succeeded, but I'm not a big fan of that game, you know? Um, you <laughs> At know? what cost? Yeah, what exactly. Cost? Like, you know, like the Star Wars Christmas special is notoriously em- embarrassing. Even though there's some fun to be had, it is, it like kind of destroys everything it touches. And I feel like this doesn't get that far. Doesn't do, isn't that bad, but it's close. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how much you guys want me to spoil. Uh, You can can give away the premise of this. In broad terms, it is the Guardians of the Galaxy going to Earth to get Star-Lord Peter Quill a Christmas present. Mm -hmm. And they decide to get him a Christmas present that is a real person in the real world. Mm, and I know that that's sort I of see. been said, like it's, it's, a, it's cute, it's cute. But it's also, there is a ton of, I mean, there's a scene where uh, Drax and um, 
oh, what's her name? The bug girl. Why can't I think of her name? Um, anyway, with two of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mantis? Mantis. Mantis, thank you. God, my brain didn't work. Uh, Drax and Mantis go to the Man's Chinese Theater in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and are interacting with all the people that dress up and you can take pictures with them, which is like on paper is like a goofy bit, but in practice, it just, you just go, oh yeah, no, those are two actors in costumes. Just like these people are in, there's no, <laughs> their costumes are better, but you just go, oh yeah, no, well done. You've completely destroyed my suspension of disbelief that this is, you know, these are superheroes, you know, it's like it, it calls into stark relief, this notion of, oh, that's just a professional wrestler with paint on his body. <laughs> you know, it's just, that's it's anyway. And, and the whole thing is like that. It's like, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It, it has its heart in the right place and it's fine. How dare this guardians of the galaxy holiday special destroy Jeff's suspension of disbelief in the Marvel universe. <laughs> I mean, I, I, hate to be, I hate to be a Scrooge. I hate to be, say bah humbug to this, but I, I kind of feel like bah humbug. And it's also interesting how integrated into canon it is, into the MC. Like there are things that happen in this Christmas special that bridge into what I presume will be the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Like there are mm. big plot moments where they do a thing and it's like, oh, in the next movie, they're going to have something and the reason they got that is because it was a Christmas <laughs> present. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, so anyway, the whole thing just felt, it felt like a goofy goof that takes itself way too seriously. It's like, okay, the Star Wars Christmas special is a goofy goof, right? And we, and the, you know, Lucas and the whole establishment like disavowed themselves of the whole thing. It was like, oh, we didn't realize we could, we shouldn't be doing goofy goofs for a, giant multi-billion dollar transgenerational franchise you know like we should take it a little more seriously than these goofy goofs but marl's like yeah no that's cool and I, and I like that like i like that it's not precious and they can have fun and, and be goofy but i didn't find the goofs to be so entertaining that it, it felt worth it to me all right well i'm sorry you did not you you, you thought that this was a lump of coal in your stocking jeff indeed sounds like indeed that's the Guardians so, of the Galaxy Christmas special directed by James Gunn. It's available wow. on Disney Plus. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. What were you going to say? Uh, you know, so you know, my you can tell my uh, my post Thanksgiving uh, watching stuff was uh, it's not great, guys. Wow. I will say oh. I didn't put this on my what I've been watching list, but I will say if you do want a a newish uh, holiday special, uh, I reckon I, I recommend the uh, Fraggle Rock, the new Fraggle Rock on hmm. uh, Apple TV. Uh, they did uh, a Night of the Lights. It's a fra episode of Fraggle Rock. I thought it was fun. It's you know it's a nice. goofy goof too with the with the Fraggles, but I thought it was good. Nice. All right. Well, that's Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. It's on Disney Plus. Um, I do want to point out that both Jeff and Devendra and myself, we all finished Andor season one this week, and we'll be discussing it with some spoilers in the Filmcast After Dark, available for patrons at Patreon.com/slash/FilmPodcast. Uh, and that is what Jeff Kanata has been watching this week. All right, I will talk a little bit about what I've been watching this week. Uh, after Jeff's sterling recommendation from a couple weeks ago, I checked out Women Talking, the new film by Sarah Pauly. It is not her first film. She's made no, several no other ever, films. No one would ever suggest that. Only a <laughs> no fool one would ever that. suggest that. Uh, she's made several other films that have been nominated for Academy Awards and, uh, and critically acclaimed. But 
Women Talking is her newest one. Uh, I really loved this movie, uh, as Jeff Kanata did. And yeah, Jeff, I think you had compared it to like Mass. Uh, yes, yeah. And I, it's extremely similar to Mass. This movie is based off of a novel, uh, but it's extre- It's very play-like. You know, it could easily be a play, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's largely just features women talking, as the title suggests, uh, and they're they're discussing making a very challenging decision. Um, they live in an ultra religious community, uh, and they need to make some hard choices about how they're going to proceed, given some terrible um, acts that have been visited upon their community uh, in recent days. And this is one of those movies where every few seconds or every few minutes, uh, my reaction to what I was watching was, oh, yeah, I guess that is one of the best actors alive today. You know, and, <laughs> and yeah. it's not it's yeah. not just for one person. It's like for multiple people. It's like every the casting is so tremendous in this movie. I don't want to like even try to list everyone. Um, but I will say for me, like. Uh, Rooney Mara and Claire Foy were were the highlights. I love seeing Claire Foy and stuff. She was so incredible in yeah. the Crown seasons one and two. And um, I don't see, I don't personally see her in that much stuff in my, you know, in the stuff that I come across. But she's tremendous in this movie. And also, Rooney Mara, it, you, I felt like she was very much cast against type. You know, like Rooney mm-hmm. Mara, I, I, in my experience, maybe you can disagree, but uh, she tends to play very. Um, you know, almost femme fatales, you know, very, very powerful women. And and I loved mm. seeing her in this much more vulnerable role. It was, I thought it was mm. impressive. Yeah. She was, uh, yeah, I think you're thinking probably of the girl with dragon tattoo. Sure. Um, and, and, but uh, but other, this, uh, this is very similar to her role in like a uh, ghost story, I would say, oh, you know, I like a s- similar vibe yeah. I got from that, that movie. Um, but anyway, yes, uh, they're all tremendous and love seeing Je- Jesse Buckley in anything. She's one of my favorite actors alive. I think this completes the, uh, unofficial Jesse Buckley, men are terrible trilogy, uh, <laughs> which also includes, I'm thinking of ending things and men. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, woman talking is a great film. That's very relevant for our times. I I think that, uh, you know, if we are to try to universalize some of the messages, I do think it's a little bit more challenging because of the fact that, um, all the women in this movie are white and there is, uh, some intersectionality issues that, uh, I think are really relevant to people today that the movie doesn't try to address it all and that's fine that i think that does hold it back a little bit from being more universal than i I think it wants to be but besides that it's uh, an excellent movie awesome performances and i'd highly recommend it that's woman talking uh and i think it's available in limited release or it will be soon actually let me see if i can i can look that up but it, it will be available in limited release in the foreseeable future um and everything so, is hitting vod like within a few weeks at this yeah. point yeah uh, yes that's, that's right basically it basically we're in a world right now where if it doesn't make you know um over uh 10 million dollars at the box office each weekend it's going to be on video demand within mm-hmm. like three to four yeah. weeks um so yeah uh that is women talking of a new sarah Pauly film okay i had a chance to watch gangs of london season two Oh, man. I didn't even know it started. Yeah. So this show is available right now on AMC Plus or via whatever uh, uh, subscription service you can get AMC. I think it's uh, uh, I have the AMC channels on Prime mm-hmm. Video, so I can get it that way, too. It, it, that, that may be why. Let me ask you before you start, Dave. <laughs> yeah. 
Is this going to, if I subscribe to AMC Plus for this, uh, will it screw me over like it did for Better Call Saul, or will I still be able to, like, watch everything? I think you can see Gangs of London Season 1 on AMC Plus. No, I'm talking about Season 2, though. No, no, I know, but I'm saying, I'm saying, for Better Call Saul, you couldn't watch, like, earlier episodes of Better Call Saul. Yeah, so, but my understanding is all the episodes are available on AMC Plus. Okay, okay. Um, I I don't, I cannot vouch (laughs) for that. I've already been burned once by AMC. I cannot, I cannot vouch for that app, though. I will say also... Um, I think the AMC Plus app is one of the worst looking apps. And I don't just mean like the design. I mean, literally the compression looks terrible in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Um, I don't know if it's better on Prime Video. Like it may or may not be better, but um, I know that it's bad on AMC Plus. Like whenever I watch something on AMC Plus app, I I have a bad time. Um, So all that said, (laughs) with that great preamble, Gangs of London Season 2. So Gangs of London Season 1 is a show that not very many people have seen. But uh, or not very many people in the U.S. I think it was one of the biggest shows ever in the U.K. Uh, and it was created by Gareth Evans, who created uh, The Raid and The Raid Two and Apostle on Netflix. Uh, I am so he, he is, in my opinion, one of the best action directors working today. Right, and I think his new movie is called Nova with Tom Hardy. If I'm not mistaken, it's going to be a Netflix movie next year. I'm really excited for that. Um, but he created Gangs of London season one and directed many of the episodes of Gangs of London season one. Gangs of London season one had some of the best action filmmaking of any TV show that's on today. Okay. Now on the, I have the Blu-ray of Gangs of London season one and on the box, somebody was quoted as saying like, it's like game of Thrones, but without the dragons, you know, it's like, this is a, this is a epic battle between these families for control of, of London, you know, and I was thinking, ooh, interesting. Could this be as good as Game of Thrones, but with like action and like hand to hand physical combat instead of dragons? It is not as good as Game of Thrones. Um, it is, and in fact, I would say season two, which doesn't have Gareth Evans' participation other than as an executive producer, um, he doesn't, I don't think he directs any of the episodes in season two because mm-hmm. he's working on Nova, as far as I understand. Yeah. Um, uh, season two, the action filmmaking continues to be very good. Um, and the problem is that this is a show, I'm sorry, the, by the way, let me stop right there. I keep saying Nova. That's not the name of the movie Gareth Evans is working on. It's actually called Havoc. I was like something, wait, it doesn't sound quite right. Between, between playing Patrick Osborne's clip at 1.5 speed and now messing up Gareth Evans' new movie. Uh, this has not been a banner day for you've, me on the film. You've really you know? eclipsed my my crimes. <laughs> not seeing old pretty boy. quick. Anyway, the movie's called Havoc. I apologize. So it, it is a movie that is coming out in 2023 on Netflix. It stars Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy, but it is called Havoc, not Nova. I think I got my like superhero names confused, right? Because aren't those both superheroes? They are. Anyway, yes, yeah. So uh, Havoc. Anyway, Gareth Evans uh, hasn't directed any of the episodes in Gangs on the season two. This is a show that has fully jumped the shark. People, the plot is ludicrous. There are ridiculous twists <laughs> that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I would say that you're watching, you know, as with Game of Thrones, you're watching lots of people ponderously speak in large fancy rooms. That's what most of the show is. But unlike Game of Thrones, I don't really feel any set of stakes. Everything is just so ridiculous outside of these scenes, in my opinion, that and over the top that uh, it's hard to really take it seriously anymore. At the same time, the action still kicks ass. So if you're looking for amazing action, Gangs of London Season 2 is still awesome. It has amazing actors in it. 
Michelle Farrelly, Sope Derisu, like all these amazing actors. I'm not loving the show that much, but I'm loving the action. And this is one of the only places where you can get really well choreographed hardcore violence on TV. So if that interests you... <laughs> and people talking in pretty rooms. Yes. So if that interests you, Gangs of London Season 2 on AMC uh, is something you should check out. But yeah, it's it's a pretty ridiculous show at this point. And I can't really defend it, but I love, <laughs> love, love, love the action. I mean, I saw the Red Band trailer, yeah. and I saw enough there to be like, okay, I, I don't care how how much it jumps the shark. I want to yeah, see. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if, yeah. if the movie, if, I'm sorry, if the show delivers on the promise of the Red mm-hmm. Band trailer for Gangs of London Season 2, then like it's like it's going to be at least watchable. Um, like but the, the shot of somebody being uh, there is a gun in somebody's mouth and <laughs> shot in the head, and while the gun is in somebody's mouth, the the guy like leans and shoots two other people who are behind him. Well, I think I think the bullet goes through the guy's head into yeah, someone yeah. else's. But then no, he he does also a turn to do it too. I mm, don't, it's it's yeah. wild. It's wild. yeah yeah. So so I need act, to see that the action is there is in particular <laughs> what, what's happening. In Gangs of London 1, there is in particular an underwater scene. I'm not even, like, I in general don't like underwater action scenes because, um, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, being in water, it slows you down. And the thing I like about action scenes is they're fast. Uh, D-Chen like thing go fast. That's kind of my whole (laughs) philosophy. But there is an underwater action scene in Gangs of London episode 1, I think. Season 2, episode 1. That is really, really impressive. So... All right. Uh, so you're just like, yeah, this it's just so the action's so good, you just gotta check it. Jeff, you gotta you gotta, you gotta watch the show. There is a house takedown in season one that is one of the wildest things I've ever seen. My dad called me after he saw that episode. <laughs> he was like, I, I don't know what I'm watching here, but this is Amazing. incredible. Yeah, uh, Gangs I, of London season one. I think that's episode six uh, yeah. of Gangs. Yeah. It is an incredible episode. It's like one of the best mm-hmm. Episodes of TV that uh, you know TV action I've ever seen yeah. in my life. And is, I brought yeah. up uh, Albert Pyun, like that that house takedown, which involves people climb to a roof and like bullet holing their way into a house and stuff. <laughs> that clearly, clearly, these folks saw Albert Pyun movies. So mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah. love it. It's, I love it's, this it's amazing. It's amazing. Back um, when you guys it, were originally talking about this show, it was right at the top of my list, and somehow I just forgot about it. But I got, mm-hmm. I got to, I got to watch this. I think it never really went anywhere else beyond AMC. Right, oh, so it problem, never went to too. Netflix or anything. Well, also yeah. like, also it was really difficult to watch it uh, yes. uh, for yeah. a while. Like yeah. I, um, it was airing. I think no, it was available. I think like via AMC Plus only for a while. Like you couldn't even get it in the regular AMC app. I tried to buy it. I couldn't buy it for a really long time. So they made it difficult to uh, obtain. But then AMC came on as a co-producer of season two. Um, so now it's like much more easily available. So you can like go, you get your Prime Video channels, you get your AMC Plus app. You can easily watch Gangs of London seasons one and two. Season one, I would still recommend. Like I'm still like you should still check out Gangs of London season one. It gets pretty ridiculous by the end, and that's where it stays for season two. But the action is so good that it it, it demands your attention. So, um, so yeah, and I think like. I want to say the first episode is available for free. So like you can easily just watch the first episode and check that out. Um, But anyway, gangs of London season two, I'm still going to watch season two and kind of dislike myself for it. But um, (laughs) what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So that's another thing I've been watching this week. We're going to take a quick break. Talk about a sponsor. We'll be back with more. What we've been watching here on the Filmcast. And now a word from our sponsor. If you're listening to this Gerber Life Guaranteed Life Insurance Sponsorship ad, there's a good chance that you're alive. And if you're not, well, this may not be of interest to you. Now, I know what you're thinking. 
life insurance. I'm going to live forever. Death is what happens to other people. Well, for the sake of argument, let's assume you're wrong and that someday you won't be listening to podcasts anymore. I know, it's not easy to talk about, so I'll do the talking. If you're 50 plus and alive, or 50 to 75 in New York, you can apply for Gerber Life Guaranteed Life Insurance with guaranteed acceptance, regardless of your health. And since this life insurance is guaranteed, you don't have to get a medical exam. In fact, you don't even have to fill out a health questionnaire. For a free quote, just visit GerberLifeFamily.com. Then, when you stop, I mean, if you stop listening to podcasts, your family can use the insurance money to help cover your final expenses or anything else. Your kids already inherited your ears, allergies, and questionable singing voice. Don't make them inherit your final expense tab, too. See website for terms and conditions. All right, folks. One other thing I watched this week, Scrooged. This is the first time I have seen the 1988 Richard Donner film Scrooged. You've never seen it before? I've never seen it before. Oh, my God. How is this possible? First of all, um, how many Christmases have you had since then? So many times to watch Scrooge. We've talked about it on the show, or at least mm, I've mentioned it. Probably mentioned it. Probably mentioned wow. it. But okay. uh, what, what was your yeah? What was the impetus for actually watching it? Uh, I was. Uh, we were in. Um, you know, kind of winding down after uh, a long day. And uh, what? Here's my. Here's my system these days. Not. This is not the totality of my system. This is part of my system. Okay. <laughs> my system but has subsystems. Part of my system is I'll just go to the different uh, video apps. Because we we basically subscribe to between us and like sharing with uh, family and so on, we basically have a subscription to all the video apps, right? Um, or streaming video apps, and so we'll go. I'll go to the apps and just see what they're highlighting. Like what a, what is their like banner spotlight thing that they're highlighting, and see if there's anything interesting there. Um, because in general, when a Hulu or a Prime Video or whatever gets something that they think you should check out, uh, they will highlight it. And uh, I went to the Par- good old Paramount Plus app, you know, <laughs> good old Paramount Plus. Nobody's ever said that and- <laughs> in the history of Paramount Plus. <laughs> and uh, Scrooge was was uh, on one of their like you know movies available for you. <laughs> uh, so I was like, oh, I've never seen that, and that seems like a nice, fun, wow, little movie. So you know, uh, somebody at Paramount was just like, we got one, <laughs> we finally. Got one. <laughs> somebody at Paramount Plus is listening to this podcast, and they're they're submitting this clip of the podcast to their. To their boss. As Did like, you watch it by yourself? No, my wife and I watched it together. Did you, had your mm-hmm. wife never seen it too? No, we had never seen it. We'd never wow. seen it. No. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not uh, saying that because it's like a classic movie or anything. I think it's a deeply troubled movie, but man, it's fun. Yeah, you know? I was going that, to. That's exactly you know, classic. Devendra, I, no. I think that's a really good way of describing it because yeah. here's what's great about Scrooge. Okay, so Scrooge basically recreates the dynamic of the Christmas Carol, but. Uh, Bill Murray is a heartless cable executive, and mm-hmm. he goes through kind of a similar Christmas past, present, future, while he himself is attempting to put on a live cable or I'm sorry, broadcast version of the Scrooge story, right? And that's that's what the the plot of Scrooge is. Which the notion that he, that they would do it live is so it's so strained. Like <laughs> the, it really, there's so much gymnastics. In order to mm-hmm. get to a place where it can be live, just so that you can have it, you know, be changed 
in midstream right, during the course right. of the movie. But man, there's no universe where anybody would do that live. It's ridiculous. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but this is a kind of Bill Murray close to the height of his powers, if not yeah. at the height of his powers. Like, yeah. uh, I think shortly after this, he would make Groundhog Day, uh, obviously a classic. But yeah, he, Bill Murray is great in this. His he does a lot of physical comedy in this, and he's very very good. And you you understand watching Scrooge why he is so beloved in the comedic community and why he's so funny right so there is that i also loved the uh production design of certain elements of the movie specifically the ghost of christmas past present and future they just look so freaking weird and disturbing um yeah those ghosts uh and the, the the places they bring people they bring bill murray's character to are like they almost look like they're out of a terry gilliam movie like yeah, they're yeah. extremely elaborate, but also off kilter, not quite right, fantastical. Um, they're just a little bit off. They're a little bit like yeah. weird, and and I, I loved how creative and out there it was. I mean, uh, a, lo- a lot of people forget this is a Richard Donner movie, and he like did not phone this in at no. all. I, exactly. I feel like uh, the, the stories I read more about Scrooge are like, oh man, that original script, you know, was was so much better. Or like the things they could have been g- going for were stronger. So in my mind, I can't help but compare Scrooge to to Groundhog's Day, you know, mm-hmm. which. I, I think Groundhog Day is a, is a masterpiece. Yeah. So totally, this totally. movie, not not as much, but I do watch it quite often. Yeah. Um. I think my my issue with the movie is it's very mean spirited. You know, like in my opinion, like oh, it's, 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 it's very so like you're mean. getting yeah. lots of laughs at the expense of uh, the people who are you know oppressed or put upon in this movie, and uh, and that just doesn't strike me as as humorous mm-hmm. these days. It, you it know? has not aged nearly as well as Groundhog Day. Uh, agreed yeah. completely. Agreed completely. So. That's that's my only issue with it, and I could understand watching this in nineteen ninety nine. I'm sorry, nineteen eighty eight, and thinking it's uh, hilarious. But watching it today, I'm just like, oh, like I feel I feel too bad for a lot of these people, you know, especially mm-hmm. in this economy that we're in right now. Like I feel too too bad for a lot of these. Well, people. The good news and, and is none of them were in this economy. <laughs> what? What do you it mean? It was nineteen eighty eight. Oh yeah, I see. Yeah. I see. Um, but. You know, you know, like uh, Bill Mur- Bill Murray is getting a lot of laughs, and he's supposed to be kind of the best. You know, like um, when you're the Christmas Carol is not super like uh, the actual Scrooge in in uh, Charles Dickens is not like getting hits off of like all these underlings. You know, in, right, right. In his, he's not the the source of of laughter. He's just the mean old man. He's yeah. the mean old man who, who the movie or the story uh, Christmas Carol makes more sympathetic for sure. But he's not scoring points off of off of mm-hmm. the other off of uh, Tiny Tim and stuff like that, you know. So anyway, uh, I, I do find it a little mean spirited, and and therefore I don't enjoy quite as it's, much as uh, I think I would have. It is a weird cultural relic. I will probably end up rewatching this movie, but it's also you know we keep also hearing just so many more stories about Bill Murray and his personal life exactly, and the way yeah. he's behaved and well, that also does color the my, recent movie. Yeah, you know that does color my reaction of to the film. And as we well, we so. sort of this is who we wanted Bill Murray to be. We wanted him to be the all-powerful asshole mm-hmm. who we really wanted to root for. So it's like, it, it, I start questioning. I was like, man, did we did we create this monster, or did we just like allow him to 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 be this person? It's it's complicated because I love Bill Murray, but everything I'm hearing is not great. And we've also heard a lot of stories about you know his, his relationship with his wives and stuff. It's, it's rough. I. I uh... I, I think a Drew McWeenie, I keep coming back to this thing Drew McWeenie said, I think I've probably said it on the air before, but like Drew McWeenie has a theory that a lot of movies in the 80s were made by assholes. Basically like, you know, that when you look at movies like Scrooge or Revenge of the Nerds or whatever, you know, like that they're made by like 
toxic men or men who have like a very specific uh, notion of what masculinity should be. Um, and I don't think Scrooge is really concerned with any of those things, but that's the thing. It's like, it's very unthinking in how it kind of disses a lot of these people. So uh, things that are on my mind while watching what should be a fun screwball comedy by Richard Donner and, and Bill Murray. Um, well, I tell you, I, uh, I reference this movie constantly. I think I've referenced it this week to my wife uh, <laughs> because I, I, I truly believe that there is a moment in this movie that is indelibly marked in my brain as what romance is. And it's when he goes to the past and mm-hmm. sees himself and his girlfriend living in a small little apartment and they give them each other very simple gifts mm. and it's snowing outside if i recall correctly and i constantly I, I think seeing that as a very young kid who had no notion of anything yeah, uh, yeah. It, it became this idea of what being in love was mm. and yeah. uh now that i live in colorado and there's actual snow outside which is the first time in my life I've ever, you know, had white Christmas or, or you know, a, the potential for snow visiting my house in any way. Uh, I'm constantly, it's constantly evoking that thing that's in my subconscious or my conscious in my mind from that movie that, that like, man, this is the most romantic, beautiful thing to be stuck indoors and just giving each other simple little gifts. And it's from Scrooged. Mm, so, mm-hmm. you know, the movie's it's, it's not all fast- awful. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and it's so fascinating to hear you talk about that, Jeff. You know, it's so fascinating to think about how, like, uh, the movies we watch as kids, like, shape what our understanding of what things sure. like holidays and love and romance. It's also like the, the yeah. one bit of sweetness in a very, very bitter movie. You yeah. Know? So I, I deeply, I remember that as well. Well, I mean, yeah. the whole movie is, and all Bill Murray movies, actually, in, in, a, in a sense, are about yeah. this asshole being redeemed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino has this wonderful monologue about how, like, that's the difference between a Bill Murray movie and a Chevy Chase movie. Like, Chevy Chase is an asshole at the beginning, and he's an asshole at the end, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But Bill Murray always is, is always redeemed. He always finds his humanity and finds his, you know, becomes this <laughs> sweet person who, you know, yeah. not an and asshole. I, I, and again, I ask, like, what... What was it about our culture at the time? It was just like, yeah, this is what we want. We just want yeah. assholes. I just want to see assholes in all my movies. Well, I think most people, Amazing. most men were assholes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. still yeah. are. Much still it. are. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also fun to see Karen Allen in the movie. You know? Yeah, she's great. That's, she's great. Um, and uh, yeah, it made me think of like, in, remember how she was the main love interest in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? And how there is a there's going to be an Indiana Jones five that's going to be in theaters next summer, guys. Like, it's yeah. just whew, a lot of a lot of feelings, a lot of feelings. <laughs> OK, that's Scrooge. It's available on Paramount Plus and other places, I assume. Devinder Hardwar, what have you been watching this week? Oh, a couple of things. Um, I've been checking out the new Wednesday TV series on Netflix. And uh, a couple of things kind of bring me to this. Uh, this is Tim Burton. Going into the Adams Family universe, which is intriguing to me because I think if you talk to like maybe casual movie watchers, right, they'd assume Tim Burton did those Adams Family movies, right? Mm. And uh, no, he did not. Is Barry Sonnenfeld directed yeah. those movies? Barry yeah. Sonnenfeld did. I believe he was uh, Burton's DP at one point, right, or something. He was definitely um, Cohen DP. Um, but yeah, that was Barry Sonnenfeld's style. So it was really interesting to see Burton playing in this field. And uh, this is a show created by Alfred Goh and Miles Miller, who did Smallville, 
So these are TV guys, uh, you know, kind of going to this property. And I have to say, um, it's very much a teen show, but I am really digging it. Mainly because Jenna Ortega, who is in uh, the most recent Scream movie. Yeah, Scream 5, uh, right? Scream 5 and X, I believe. Yeah. Um, She is fantastic. She is just so good. uh, Channeling Wednesday Adams. And uh, this is less about her family, but they are certainly in here too. Like, um, I'm just trying to pull up the cast. Um, You've got Louise Guzman, I know, is in it. Louise Guzman, yep. And um, Catherine Zeta Jones. Catherine Zeta Jones. This is just off the top of my head, I'm not even looking. Yeah, this is off the top. Um, (laughs) Catherine Zeta Jones, I'm just not like in the mindset for this. But you've got them as like, you know, uh the 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 adams and i find them like them portraying those roles to be really interesting gwendolyn christie is in the show as the principal of course christina ricci pops up as well like just she she is sort of like the house master um the, that wednesday lives in uh it's a lot of fun it's very much a teen series it's another one of those shows basically set in like a supernatural high school set for outcasts and people are broken up into different groups and whatnot but I think it has a lot of fun with the Adams family um, storylines. It it pushes harder into the supernatural than I think the Adams family show or the series and the movies ever really did. Like there is definitely more supernatural going on here, right? There are definitely straight up vampires and werewolves, you know, in this. Um, there are huge monsters. I think in the movies it was always interesting because they were sort of like the weird misfit family against like just straight up normal people right Right, like it was it was the juxtaposition of adams versus normal people that was funny now there's like a whole bunch of other types of people you've you've Mm -hmm. got you know werewolves you got sirens um i think it very much feels like a teen high school show but it's really fun jenna ortega is really good at uh portraying wednesday adams like both doing the sort of like disaffected way christina ricci kind of handled that character but also giving her a flash of personality um she gets a couple action scenes because of course of course she does she's very good at fencing and uh they give her one martial arts scene because of course it feels like we, we kind of have to do that now but i think jenna ortega is eminently watchable and i really like um a lot of these characters you know i just like the adams family vibe so i think i'll be you know checking this out more i think i'll keep watching it it is very weird that it doesn't feel like a tim burton thing uh he did four episodes of this i saw the first two episodes nothing spectacular like it doesn't feel like he's trying to do much there's some great visual storytelling at times with wednesday and her roommate who's like a very chipper blonde girl so of course that ends up being her roommate but I don't think Burton is really doing much in the overall like production of the show. It was shot in Romania. So it has like a distinct vibe, but it, it's not as like, um, I don't think it's as creative looking as the movies were. So you know, don't go in expecting that. But if you want a really cool Wednesday Adams show, and if you want to see Jenna Ortega, just kind of killing it. Uh, I think it's worth watching. I, uh, I was very excited about this show and I made it about halfway through the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I mean, you you mentioned it. It very much is a teen show, but it, you know, it yeah, it, it yeah. deserves being underscored. Like, I, it is I, definitely from the minds of Smallville. You yeah, know, it, it, at it, that level. Yeah. My wife turned to me, uh, you know, about halfway through, and she was like, "Is this, is this show for kids?" And I was like, yeah, "I think it is." And that's <laughs> what we, okay. we failed. It's okay. Yeah. yeah, it's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it it really does feel that way. And it 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 really does. You're, I mean, just underscoring what you said that it didn't bother you as much as it bothered me, but it really doesn't feel like a Tim Burton thing. And it mm-hmm. really does feel like a, you know, a, a YA 
yeah. uh, experience. But what what is a Tim Burton thing anymore? Anyway, right? So uh, I guess that's a good question. But yeah, I was. I don't want it to feel more. like modern, late era Tim Burton. This feels like a guy who's just making a TV series, and you know what? Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it compared to a lot of the Tim Burton movies. Jeff was just looking for the magic of the live action Alice uh, in Wonderland. Exactly. Remake, you know? <laughs> or uh, or Dumbo. Was that him? Yeah. I never uh, even okay. saw that Dumbo. Yeah. With yeah. Danny DeVito and everything. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, J- Jeff doesn't even know what a Tim Burton aesthetic is now, but he craves it. I, well, I, yes. I mean, I crave. I, I just was, wanted it to be more, feel more special. And it just didn't mm-hmm. feel, it, it really felt pedestrian to me. But I'm glad DeVindra is enjoying it. Yeah, I, I think it is a step above, like, I've seen a bunch of teen shows, and there's stuff I just tap out of immediately, and this is one where I feel like Jenna Ortega is just so good. I do like Wednesday Adams, like, as a character. I've always liked the Adams families, like, uh, I've uh, as a kid, like, watching those movies, and especially Values, like, yeah, I totally identified with them as a sort of, like, misfit outcast as well. So I'm glad it's keeping that vibe going at the least. All right, that's Wednesday. It's available on Netflix right now, and I believe it's one of the top TV shows on the on the platform. So that's one thing Devinger's been watching. Devinger, anything else you've been watching? Want to shout out uh, Flux Gourmet. If you guys enjoyed our review of The Menu and you want to see something that's even weirder and wilder, uh, this is a movie directed by Peter Strickland, also co-starring uh, Gwendolyn Christie in a series of amazing gowns. Like, she is just fantastic here. Um, but it also co-stars Asa Butterfield. Um, it's about people, even even the concept of this thing is so weird. It is very much an experimental sort of movie. It's about people who use food to put on, like, art shows, and they make music through the sounds of the food, and it's sort of like an art collective thing. Peter oh, another movie really, about that, huh? Another Another movie about those. Another movie also about a man who cannot stop farting. You know, a movie where um, an art piece ends up being a live colonoscopy, you know, a movie where um, shit plays a major role. And you know what? Uh, You got to have a strong stomach going in for these. Peter Strickland is an interesting guy. I don't know if you guys have seen any of his movies like the Duke of Burgundy Mm -mm. and Mm -hmm. uh, in fabric in fabric is a movie about an evil dress. Like a haunted dress, he he's just kind of a crazy, wild director, and I think this movie is a lot of fun. But you got to have patience for it, right? Like I, the menu is a movie you can watch, and I think it's very approachable. Yeah, it has its like gross out moments, but you can totally get what's going on. Flex Gourmet is a full on like experimental, uh, almost horror movie, but certainly an experimental type of film um, that I think is really funny, and the visuals are are generally fun, but it's not like. You're not going for this for a, uh, you know, a momentous narrative or, you know, super in, I'd say super distinctive characters or anything. I think I think it's just a really fun, interesting watch. It's sort of like a wild art house movie. And if you want something like the menu, that's maybe a little more twisted. I think it's worth a watch. That's Flux Gourmet. And Devendra, how'd you watch Flux Gourmet again? Um, I believe it's up. Yeah, it's on video on demand now. I'm I'm honestly going through a pile of screeners yeah. at this point. Yeah, so too, you got a so... screener, you got a screener for Flux Gourmet, yeah. Yeah. Um that's that's one of the tricky things is uh so we are blessed to be able to mm-hmm. get screeners sometimes at the end of the year. And um sometimes it's hard to tell when some of these movies will be available. And we, mm-hmm. we try to keep the podcast relevant because like we don't want to recommend stuff that you won't be able to see for like nine months. Um, but it does happen on a rare occasion. It does happen. Yeah, like, it, um, according to the internet, it is on Shutter and also video on demand. And a bunch there of you places. go. There you yeah. go. But yeah, there, there. But there was one. I remember that. Like I got a Memoria screening last year. I don't even know if you still can. Yeah, screen yeah, that yeah. At this point. Um, it's still. It, they are still showing it. Ran like at <laughs> individual towns all over the world. At this yeah. Point. 
Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it, it's it's an interesting time. We're very very fortunate. We're very blessed to be able to get screener. It's ta- let, me put, let me put it this way: it's taken a lot of freaking hard work to get to this point where we actually get screeners at all. So much um, work. But uh, but we're glad to get them. And so uh, anyway, that's Flux Gourmet. It's available on Shutter. Uh, and that's one other thing Davindra's been watching. Davindra, speaking of weird horror movies. Weird horror movies. Well, not that weird. But I did watch a movie that you talked about recently. Yeah. Uh, Watcher. The I movie watched by it Chloe. at the uh, mm-hmm. Sundance. Watcher. The I think it's mm-hmm. uh, Chloe Okuno, if I'm not Chloe mistaken. Chloe Okuno. Um, yeah, it's about a woman who moves with her husband to Bucharest and starts to believe a man is watching her from across the street and starts to think that he's stalking her. And it is very much one of those like voyeuristic uh, thrillers. And my wife was in the mood for this. So we checked it out. It's on Shudder right now. I think it's a very like, if you want like a cool thriller that's very well made, that's about the idea of voyeurism and just the creepiness of somebody who can see you on the other side of an apartment complex, um, somebody who could be watching you at all times when you're going around town, I think it um, it's very effective. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Like, it's also like pretty much ninety minutes. It is straight up like on the <laughs> yeah. dot. It is so tight. Um, it is set. It is shot actually in Bucharest too, so it has like a nice. It's almost like a bit of a travel vibe. Like, oh, you get to see how people live in Romania and what the city looks like, and you know, I kind of appreciate it for that. Micah Monroe once again doing like her scream queen thing. Um, I was reminded that it's been a while since it Balas came out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and that yeah. movie, that movie was so good. So good. And I, I would love very to similar it. plot to this film starring Michael Monroe as well. Almost a similar uh, plot. Yeah. Also, I, I want to say um, this movie makes me feel bad for Burn Gorman. <laughs> the guy who sort of plays. Uh, Bur- Burn Gorman plays a creepy looking dude in this movie who may or may the not pro- be up the to The problem more, is yeah. Burn Gorman is just creepy looking. So when I yeah. saw his name in the credits, I was like, oh, yeah, obviously. Obviously, it's Burn Gorman. Uh, <laughs> this is the guy because he is in The Expanse. He is in uh, many, many TV Pacific shows. Pacific Rim, I believe. Well, he's well. playing a good guy in Pacific Rim. That's like the one thing that <laughs> put, puts him in like a good role. But otherwise, he has the face of a villain. And I feel like a major challenge for Hollywood is um, put Burn Gorman in the lead role of a rom-com. <laughs> Okay, I think he can do it. He's actually a talented actor, but he has this look about him that's sort of like, I can't trust this guy. Mm-hmm. He is he's clearly up to no good. So anyway, um does make me feel bad for Bryn Gorman, but he's also very good in this movie. That's very lucrative, yeah. you know? Work. Yeah. yeah. Uh Chloe Okuno, this is her first feature film, but she did direct a pretty great short in VHS ninety four mm-hmm. called Storm Drain. Yeah, uh, this is very, very confident filmmaking. So yeah. I cannot wait to I see agree. what she does next. I agree. She's very talented and I'm looking forward to her next project. But Watcher is available right now on Shutter. Mm-hmm. And you know that Oh, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say real quick. You know, you know that that is actually a category you may have at one once put Paul Dano in. Oh, absolutely. And now he's Cre- you just know, creepy guy. But now he's like, you know, wholesome dad <laughs> in the Fablemans. Mm. Yeah, he, he aged out of that a little bit, a little bit. Because mm, yeah. we we always have new people falling into that role, right? Just saying, there's hope for Burn Gorman. Well, I, I'm. I mean, I don't know. You know Burn was already aged. I'm gonna <laughs> like, say Paul. I'm yeah. gonna say Paul Dano has a lot of range. Okay, like he played. Yeah, he yes. played basically like King of the Incels this year. Mm-hmm. in the batman so right um, that's what i'm saying like he's usually he's almost always is playing the king yeah. of the incels and whatever he's in <laughs> you know like he, i i just i think the, the <laughs> I, just, I was just this is like swiss army man i guess he was that too yeah anyway yeah, um, yeah. but anyway uh fair enough fair enough perhaps perhaps there is a there will be blood stage, you know like there's, there's a late stage burn um, yeah just saying it's a possibility it's a hope burn if, if I, yeah. i'm just saying if i'm burn gorman i'm looking at paul dano's career and i'm like i feel hopeful 
You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like Spielberg put him in the <laughs> the lead, like wholesome <laughs> dad role. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's uh, Watcher, and it's available right now on Shutter. And that's what we've been watching this week. We're going to take a break. We'll talk about a sponsor. We'll be right back with our review of The Fablements. Uh, before we get to our review of The Fablements, though, let's talk about some weekly plugs. All right, folks, Weekly Plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something else that we've been making. I want to give a shout out for Decoding TV, which you can find at podcast.decodingtv.com. My wife and I are covering The Crown Season 5. It's hard to, you know, I've done a lot of uh, TV recap shows, guys. It's hard to cover a show that is released binge style um, because <laughs> it's like people are watching it at different times. And it's like, is anyone even going to want to listen to a podcast about it? Um but the way we've decided to approach it is we're covering three to four episodes at a time, and we're going to cover the entire season in three episodes. So we recently published our uh, episodes four through six recap, which you can find available at podcast.decodingtv.com. Um, this season overall, you know, I, I was kind of positive on it when we discussed it a couple weeks ago on what we've been watching. I think the season overall is pretty weak. I would say it's probably the second or first weakest season of the show. Um but there's still lots to discuss. And Elizabeth Debicki is pretty like the, the resemblance between her and Princess Diana is like really incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's worth kind of checking out for that alone, but yeah, some pretty rough stuff this, this season. Um, but you can hear us break it down over on decoding TV at podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, Devin, your hardware, your weekly plug. Oh yeah. I want to throw out another shout out to Engadget's holiday gift guide. And I wrote up a guide about buying, um, you know, the, the best laptops and tablets you can gift people. And I get this question quite a lot actually, because people are looking for like high ticket items or just like which tablet to get. And also the, the iPads are so confusing this year. So I break it down a little bit in this guide and uh, yeah, I hope we can help you guys out there. All right. Check out Engadget's gift guide. Uh, and Jeff Kanata, what is your weekly plug? I would also like to talk about a gift guide. But, you know, the problem with gift guides often is there are so many things on them. What if there was just <laughs> well, one you're, you're directly one repudiating thing. Davindra's yes. weekly Thanks recommendation. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay, what if job. your gift guide had only one thing, but it was perfect for everyone all the time, mm. and you don't even have to think about it? it just, Cho- just Choice is a burden, you know? Choice yes. is a burden sometimes. What if your gift guide was no guy? Just it, what if it's gift. just a gift? What if it's just the perfect <laughs> gift for anyone all the time, every time? The gift I'm referring to, of course, is a limerick. A limerick! A limerick crafted for you, for your loved one, by me. That's right. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada, where you can purchase a limerick handcrafted with love and care, delivered by me in video form with a lovely message attached. Uh, Check out the over 100 five-star reviews I've gotten on the platform. Uh, Many satisfied customers. People who uh, enjoy getting the the gift that keeps on giving for at least five lines. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. All right. Those are our weekly plugs. Of course, we want to give a shout out to the podcast, uh, patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can support the podcast. Uh, but we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them any financial hardship whatsoever. It's very easy to support us just by leaving a star rating or a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Or consider sharing about us on your social medias, maybe on your Instagram, your Hive, your Post News, <laughs> your TikToks, you know, consider sharing about us on all the major platforms that I have just mentioned. 
quote unquote major. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us today for weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of The Fablements. Dismiss what he does. It's playful or imaginative. You could afford to be a little encouraging. She should have been the concert piano player. What she got in her heart is what you got. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Mom got a monkey. Why'd you get a monkey? Because I needed a laugh. You always have to be the center of attention. Stop shouting at her! That has been nothing but disrespect from you! I'm your mother! Family, art, it'll tear you in two. You stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. Hello, everyone. You're watching or listening to The Filmcast. This is our review of The Fablemans, the new movie by Steven Spielberg that's out in theaters right now. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Growing up in a post-World War II era Arizona, young Sammy Fableman aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth. We are all fans of Steven Spielberg here on the podcast, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. I have to confess to you that when I heard the premise of this movie, it felt a little bit self-indulgent to me. I groaned out loud. <laughs> a little bit yeah. like, oh, yeah. a semi-autobiographical movie by Steven Spielberg about the magic of movies. Do we really need this? For me, the answer ultimately was yes. But I'm curious, Devin, your hardware, what did you think of The Fablements? Yeah, I mean, do we need it? That That's kind of a tough question. Uh, I, I would say I think it's a very solid coming-of-age story. Um, and it has some tremendous performances here too. Like Michelle Williams, amazing as always as the matriarch of this family, who's kind of the more creative person. And Paul Dano is, uh, is, you know, Sammy Fableman's the Spielberg stand in. He is the father and he's the more technical, serious minded guy. And there is a great like running theme of just the power of cinema through this movie. I think maybe a, a bit too much, you know, like it never, <laughs> It never really stops, and they just keep <laughs> hammering it home and home and home uh, so much. So, you know, um, I, I feel like this is one I, I'll allow Spielberg to like just be, you know, kind of give in and like show us his full heart when it comes to the power of movies. At the same time, I don't think this movie actually reveals much to us, you know, mm. about who he is as an artist. Um I've heard these stories before and I'm not going to say much uh, if you haven't heard like his history and what his family, you know, what he experienced with his family. Um, But I've heard some of this history before and it does like, yeah, it makes sense how that influences the way he approached some of his early movies in particular and the way his movies have um, have kind of explored the idea of families um, who are with divorced parents and things like that. So it, it kind of makes sense, but also I've been reading those press stories forever, you know, and a lot of the ideas in this movie and things that they show, we have seen in so many other Spielberg movies. You know, I, I feel like we learn so much more about Spielberg from something like in uh, Close Encounters um, or certainly a movie like Schindler's List or something. I feel like all of his projects reveal something to us. And this one, which is the thing that is supposed to be the sort of like 
I don't know, uh, the, the, the key to unlocking his creative spirit and everything. I don't feel like it really gives me that much. It's just like, hey, cinema is very powerful and it really shaped this guy's life. And I think we're all better for it. I'm not sure this project is the sort of like awakening, like the, the sort of like uh, decoding key for understanding Spielberg that I wanted it to be, mm-hmm. but certainly a good coming of age story. I mean, here's here's some things you can say about Steven Spielberg that are, are very complimentary. First of all, as far as I can tell, the guy is <laughs> literally still, everything. Yeah. yeah, literally everything. I mean, <laughs> who has ever can... said anything complimentary about Steven Spielberg, David? <laughs> It's a tr- it's true. I mean, the guy's in his we 70s. Could, he's mm-hmm. still working his ass off. He is making movies of an incredibly high variety. For sure. Do you West know? Side uh, Story was last year. Yes. Yeah. You know, and- Incredible. West Side Story, yeah. The Post, Bridge of Spies, Lincoln, Ready Player One. I don't love all those movies, but like he is still taking big swings. He still has an earnestness about him. Uh, and, and here's another thing that I, I think is very underrated. He is working with new actors almost every single time. Like the guy who plays young Steven Spielberg in this movie, um, I think his name is Gab- uh, Gabriel Labelle. Uh, he's amazing. Semi he's great. He, very he's good. awesome. Yeah. The guy has, I think, uh, what uh, nine credits to his name, right? Like, y- y- there's people who uh, there's directors who often like settle in with a nice rhythm. You know, they like work with the same actors over and over again because it's comfortable for them. Spielberg is still going out. He's scouting out like the next up and coming young talent. Like so many new people I was introduced to in West Side Story and in this movie that like I'd never heard of before. Um, obviously he still has mainstays like Paul Dano and, and Michelle, um, Williams, but you know, like he's, he's still going for it. And, and there's an earnestness to his work that, uh, endures. It's very earnest. A lot of his stuff really wears its heart on it. The BFG is an example. Did not like that movie at all, but like he's still, uh, putting out movies of a kind of a type of a variety of an earnestness. Um, and with like, up and coming young cast that like mm-hmm. very few mm-hmm. other directors are doing these days. I, I don't I think, think Ready Player One is a great story, but he certainly improved on the book, you know, mm-hmm. with just like his level and his vision. Well, yeah. I, I think he's, I he's think using this... his considerable power for good. Is like I think what I'm saying, um, uh, in terms of like storytelling, and whether we like the movies or not, like uh, you know, it's totally up for debate. But I, I do admire that this is how he's choosing to spend his time these days. Um, so Jeff, what were you going to say? I think this movie makes a case for why he is so earnest, mm-hmm. why he yeah. has a earnestness as a, as a quality in his filmmaking, why he wears his heart on his sleeve. I think that's one of the, I think, takeaways from this movie is, is that it's explaining that. Yeah. Well, Jeff Kanata, why don't you tell us your overall thoughts on The Fablements? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts on The Fablements are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hmm. Are you ready for this one? Um, I hope. Dissecting what is a stable fam. Directed like only he's able. And though it contains great stuff, it remains feeling too much like a fable, man. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you just rhyme and fam? <laughs> And man, I think is what yes, I did because you, you know why? Because because I'm a yeah. professional. <laughs> he knows what he's doing, but also you <laughs> use the other, you know, the the meaning of fable, which is something I was going to allude to as well. Mm. This does seem like, yeah, the the storytellers. That is yeah. what this movie is about. Yeah, well, different different spelling, but different yeah. spelling, but yeah. The 
I, I don't think it's a it's a coincidence that he calls it the Fablemans, right? Yeah. When it's uh, autobiographical, we we should um, point out that Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner co-wrote the screenplay for this yeah, movie. Yeah. Correct. And only the third movie he's got a writing credit on, right? Of his mm. of his films, I think Close Encounters being two and uh, AI being three. I think yeah. that's is that correct? Um, this movie is big and sprawling and long and about a whole bunch of different things and about one thing over and over again, but also about a whole bunch of other. It gets sidetracked for long periods of time. Doing, I mean, the movie's like about movies, about movies, about movies. And it's like, not about movies for a long time, you know? And <laughs> it, it's um, it's big and sprawling and, and I, I admire it in so many ways. And it's beautifully directed and beautifully acted and evocative and by the end i was a little misty and the last shot of the movie which i can't wait to talk about mm -hmm. is just awesome and the whole so, final sequence beautiful yeah it's stuff. so yeah. great it's so great and there, there's so many incredible judd hirsch oh needs an amazing. academy award right now for, <laughs> who who knew he was this incredible dude, you know like, judd hirsch <laughs> the movie is what is worth watching for the 10 minutes of judd hirsch alone 100 like, percent 100%. He is. He needs a Best Supporting Actor Academy Award immediately. Like it's, yep. it's so amazing when he just walks in and like takes over the movie for ten minutes. I, I but, love him and I love that scene. For me, that is one of those things where it's like, oh, like oh, you're you're here pounding out the themes again. Like you are. Yes, you have been trucked in to again. <laughs> well, you that's rearchitect what this is really about. But he's very good at it. He's this is good. this is the thrust of my review, which is. I understand that this is intentional. I understand this is what Kushner and Spielberg are up to, right? They've named the movie The Fablemans. They are attempting to spin a fable. And I think by the very nature of fable, things aren't necessarily naturalistic or grounded. Or they, they are larger than life. They are, they are um, legendary, right? The, the, these But... And, and while I know that that is intentional, it also really doesn't work for me. No one mm. talks like a human being in this movie. Oh, man. And no, yeah. none of the moments feel real. In fact, for the first, I, I didn't know much about this movie going into it, as I often don't. Um, and I thought maybe we were going to get like a flash, like this was a flashback that we were starting with. And we, and so the first 10, 20 minutes of this movie, I'm thinking, Wow, this feels like a really over-the-top flashback. I can't wait till we get to the more modern moments so that we can stop this like stylized, uh, you know, overly mm -hmm. melodramatic mm -hmm. delivery that everyone's Especially seen. Michelle Williams, because like she's putting on a voice. Everybody, that is very, yeah. Everybody in this movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I think the performances are wonderful. And I clearly they've been directed into them. But Paul Dano is he's doing He's doing a very strange it's not just the the delivery it's mm -hmm. the script like the yeah, yeah. the words that are said the the way the movie is shot everything is delivered like it is through the lens of nostalgia through it is a director looking back on his life and not everything you know this isn't called the Spielbergs right this isn't meant to be a biopic or a a projection of fact it is meant to be this through the lens of the camera, looking back with uh, romance, capital R, like this romantic notion of how he was raised and and the, his parents as these larger than life figures. But man, it just really doesn't work tonally for me. The 
the the the way this movie feels it just never feels like i'm watching real human beings in real scenarios that mm-hmm. said if i accept that what is happening is evocative and often beautiful and often heart-wrenching but like there are large sequences in high school where no one behaves like a actual <laughs> high schooler no one says a word that a human being would say it is all like mm-hmm. this i mean fable it is a fable it is it is written like a children's story you got the bullies exactly popular girls i would say um a large portion of the early part of this movie is about uh you know this young spielberg stand-in um setting up a train set you know and then starting to uh, use it to overcome his fears and eventually filming it the movie feels like a lot of these characters are just these sort of like little you know little dolls or little like play animals um or people that he's constructing to kind of re re envision his past and everything. They don't feel like human beings because yeah, they are just the action figures of his past. The I think that's well said. Of his, of I, think I, yeah. I agree hundred percent. It does feel like a filmmaker, not really addressing what's happening, but sort of like it, it, it does feel like, you know, sitting down with grandpa and him telling you tales and you being like, is that how it really happened? Grandpa? <laughs> Cause that doesn't sound real, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, 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 and there's, there's a, there mm-hmm. is a romance to that. There's a lyricism to that. There is, it, you know, it feels lilting and beautiful. And by the end, like I was emotional and I felt, I felt that the, the, the notion of, of film as a medium was elevated and I was inspired by that on, on a certain level. But ultimately the movie just feels false and, and, I I never connected to it mm-hmm. in in any mm-hmm. sense other than this sort of distanced appreciation rather than being mm. actually drawn in to these real human moments. Which, None of those felt like a real human moment to me. It's funny because there's a really dramatic point in the movie too where Sammy envisions himself going and shooting his family, like actually going through this emotional moment. And that's, again, this entire movie. It's, it's that remove where he's more comfortable behind the camera rather than putting the truth in front of the camera, I guess. Yeah. Je- Jeff, if, uh, if this whole thing had been revealed to be like old man Fableman sitting on his <laughs> rocking chair, telling his kids about his upbringing, like would that yeah. have like improved it for you though? Like, I mean, I, I think ultimately it, it is that, yeah, right? It, it, it is. that. Mm-hmm. just with, but we bring we the meta textual ha- element into it of it's Steven yeah. Spielberg doing this for us. Right. I mean, I, I think this, the spirit of your question is kind of what I was trying to get at. Like by yeah. the end of this movie, I go, man, that was quite an experience. And I was moved and transported and invested in individual things. But in the process of watching the movie, like moment to moment, I just kept going, why am I being like pushed away from this experience? Why, mm-hmm. why is everything being like told at me mm-hmm. rather than, including me why Mm. why why does the whole world feel so presentational and false and lacking in any kind of grounded realism so that's the that was the course that i had throughout it and by the end even though it didn't have that bookend that you're talking about i did get that sense of like okay i understand what we were doing here but i don't think that ultimately it achieved what it could have if it had just been more 
earnest and authentic, you know, mm-hmm. on the through the whole journey. Yeah, there's a difference between earnestness and authenticity, I'd say. And yeah. like this definitely leans more on the earnest side of it. And also like this very like um idealized vision he has, Spielberg has of of his parents and who they were as people and they're very much archetypes. You've got the creative one, you've got the like less You've got the more like intellectual, uh, you know, engineer type. Uh, one thing I really appreciated, the trailers for this movie really made it seem like his father, um, you know, Paul Dano's character would be the sort of like person holding it back, right? The sort of like person who can envision doing this as a career and oh, you're wasting your time with this hobby. And I, I think the movie does actually give that character a lot more to do. But I also think it gives the mother, it kind of short trips, uh, strips the mother at the end two and we could talk about some of that stuff in spoilers i feel like we lose her entirely like once a major event happens and meanwhile the father continues to be more supportive in a way dave just to put one more button on 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 my point here sure if, if i may um i think it's ironic that i feel more connection and and truth for lack of a better term looking at the family the parents in Close Encounters and E.T. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think they're more revelatory about Steven Spielberg's actual upbringing than this movie. Like, though, there's such fantastical elements, you know, in both cases, aliens, right? But I, I relate more to what's happening because it doesn't feel inflated or romanticized. It feels like, oh my gosh, there's this supernatural element, but it feels real in those cases. Mm. Well... Uh, this is like a once in a blue moon occurrence, but I'm the person on the podcast that loved this movie the most. Uh, <laughs> I'm usually the one dragging you guys down into the muck with me, but <laughs> this, this is time a, the Eternals of uh, Spielberg <laughs> movies. <laughs> <laughs> it is in fact the Eternals of Spielberg movies. I <laughs> loved the Fablemans. I thought it was a tremendous movie, and it's because I think I have been, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna acknowledge like what I'm bringing to a personal. Which is that? Um, you were a young Jewish kid who grew up. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, there's there's a couple of sort of things aligning right now in my own personal life, like just occurrences aligning right now in my own personal life that like are or things in the world that are aligning that are like relevant to me, right? Like number one is. Um, the industry, in my opinion, is in uh, a rough place. Like the the movie industry is in a rough place. Um, theatrical f- film going is in a rough place. There is massive media consolidation going on right now. Um, the number of studios that exist in Hollywood gets less and less each year or fewer and fewer each year. Uh, Amazon bought MGM. Disney bought Fox. Um, more consolidation will probably happen this limits the types of stories that are going to be told the number of stories that are going to be told um and streaming has kind of destroyed all the old business models of what it means to make a movie and uh and so i've been i think a lot about these things and about like <laughs> you know i i think uh i had originally said like i was hoping the film cast we could be sort of on board for the slow decline of movies. And uh, and then with COVID, it was like, oh, is it going to be a fast decline now? And it turns out 
it was a blip and things are kind of normalizing again. We'll see how well Avatar 2 does. I mean, people, um, are, people are turning out. Uh, Glass Onion is in theaters for a week. And all I hear from people is crowded theaters and people yeah. loving that movie. And maybe Netflix should think about letting that be. In they they left Wakanda. money on the table. They left money on the table. Um, Wakanda forever, it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It is a it is a perfect uh, Glass Onion is a perfect like Thanksgiving. Let's all take the family to see it, and it's a sh- it's sad that it's only going to be in theaters for one week. Um, okay, that coupled with you know, um, I have worked for the last ten years in uh, corporate life while trying to like do creative things on the side, and I've done it. I've done all that stuff for long enough that I finally have like a little bit of breathing room to kind of try to figure out like where. Uh, what I want to do next and and to consider it more carefully um, and, and you know how creative I want to be in in terms of my daily life and and what I want to do with my daily life and so all those things are intersecting in a way that make me really nostalgic and emotional for the stuff that's depicted in this film mm-hmm. um, that it's like hey there was a magic two movies were shining and they explain it's explained in the first two minutes like the movie. explicitly in the first five minutes. Have you heard of, of persistence and vision kid? This is what <laughs> parents talk to kids about. <laughs> but there is a magic to like, Hey, they used to shine a, a bright light that was so freaking bright. It would like mm-hmm. illuminate the whole room and then like run stuff through it 24 times a second. And it would make people feel things and experience things. And like yeah. people yeah. dedicate their life to making this stuff at great cost to themselves, you know? And, um, and so anyway, like I, I, when I went into this movie, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to like this. This is going to feel like complete self-indulgent wankery. Like this. I, I don't, I went in like thinking I would not like this movie, ended up loving it. I do think the first half is much stronger than the second half. Yes. In my opinion, absolutely. like the first yeah. half, just the first 75 minutes. And there's a certain like midpoint when it kind of ends is like just amazing. I was just like, oh, this is so good. And then the second half, it really kind of loses momentum a little bit um, and is not as strong, but is still very good. But really, it reminds you, like, I think it's a really valuable cultural relic. 20 years from now, when people don't even go to see movies anymore, or it's all Marvel stuff all the time, um, we can point to this movie and say like, hey, there was a time when like, we used to go to theaters together in huge mm-hmm. crowds and watch these like bold original stories that people physically built these f- models and like, you know, all the stuff that Spielberg and many filmmakers love about the tactile nature of filmmaking <coughs> that's going to be gone. You know, once we move to all CG and the volume and stuff like that, it, this movie is a testament that like, Hey, w- once upon a time, um, we loved these things as a society. And, mm-hmm. uh, and for me, that's, that's like really, we're not, we're- it's not like we're not making things anymore. We're just making them different, right? Like we're making them differently and yeah. with less soul than they used to. I don't know. <laughs> and, and, debatable. And also, the, and also yeah. the Fableman's like kind of bombed at the box office this weekend. You know, it's like people it's like harsh. aren't, aren't yeah. seeing these. They're not going to movies to see these kinds of movies that much anymore. I, I so, would argue like, who is this movie for? People like is, the people on this podcast. I like, like us. And even we like did not like love us. It, you know? um, so, and, anyway. Yeah, not fully loved it, but also... I think about like this is not the only movie to like dis- explore the power of cinema and our relationship to it. And for me, like the big one is like Cinema Paradiso. I was gonna say, I this remember, is up, but this is up there for me with Cinema. Paradiso. I, and this is where I say shenanigans. Mm, yeah. Whereas yeah. that is a movie where even the score alone will rip my heart out. 
right mm-hmm. from me. It's a great. It's a, one, one of the greatest scores of all time. One of the one greatest, of the greatest scores, of scores of all time. Any Um, but also a tremendous movie about the power of cinema and the the cost of like following your dreams and things like that. Whereas this one, I I don't know. Maybe it was too tied to Spielberg. Like the other thing is, I'm I'm unclear as to why it's not just the Spielbergs. You know, maybe it's mm-hmm. for liability reasons. And so you're not like yeah. calling people out directly. Um, but I felt that disconnect there because it's like, yeah, the it's Spielberg saying, um, yeah, this is kind of about my childhood. This is inspired by my childhood. Here's this family, the Fablemans. Right. <laughs> and we're just like, there is an inherent disconnect there. That I didn't feel in a lot of other movies like this, especially cinema parody. So, but mm-hmm. there's Empire of Light out right now, which is, gonna, which is Sam Mendes's movie about the power of cinema. And I also believe about how it affected his life too. We're getting a lot of these things. We've got James Gray's Armageddon Time, which I haven't seen yet too. Um, I I, I think it's like it's these. It's uh, you know, my interpretation is it's like the dying gasps of this era of like, Mm -hmm. you know, people are going to look back on this movie fifty years from now and be like, I can't believe we used to make movies. I can't believe that was an industry. Like we used to make movies. That's my suspicion anyway. Sure. Anyway, um, but I'm sorry it didn't work as well for you guys. I loved it. It was amazing, in my opinion. It's it has weaknesses. It it's very very didactic, and I think you're right that like people don't speak like humans. Also, Steven Spielberg's last two movies have been about high schoolers that are like literally psychotic, like yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's like True. like they would literally True. murder you, and I'm like okay, um, weird. But anyway, despite <laughs> all those things, uh, I really loved it. We have a lot I mean, to discuss. Yeah, honestly, ahead, I I feel like a lot of my problems with this movie are shared with uh um. West Side Story, like it, mm-hmm. that. That movie also is like gorgeous to look at and rousing, and 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 clearly made with an incredible amount of skill. But just like, just feels like a limp, soulless. I mean, okay, that's yeah. not how I feel about yeah. Fablemans. But you know, it 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 doesn't feel like never felt like a a thing I could connect to or real people. Um, and I, I and honestly, I feel like there might be a problem with Spielberg in, in his, you know, advanced uh, career where he's, he's getting more detached from his subjects. And I, I almost feel like he's 75 years old now. And the story is we've heard he's wanted to do West side story forever, like forever for decades. And it feels like he's getting a chance to do these projects. He spent years envisioning in his head. Right. So he kind of, I, I love certainly the dance sequences and the big musical set pieces of West Side Story, but it feels like these are stories he's had in his head for a while, you know, and the power of like, okay, how do I communicate this better to other people? Or how do I bring people in has maybe been the thing he hasn't been thinking about as much. You know? I, I think it's worth yeah. interrogating like why these movies don't work for you. And I think you've done a great mm-hmm. job of articulating why I, I do have to point out they are both extremely critically beloved films like they're both over 90 percent movies of course people love them and don't don't have the issues that that you guys have with them yeah um but i do think it's worth like i I do think you guys raise some good issues but i I just want to like call i don't think like the preeminent opinion out there he he has not had a badly reviewed movie in a very long time so yes spielberg movie being reviewed well for sure good thing (laughs) it's more like what is happening especially with these last two films where i do feel that disconnect Mm -hmm. jeff like i'm I'm kind of on the same wavelength there all right. I, let's, and just before we go to spoilers, I, one more time, I want to call out Gabriel LaBelle, who plays the young uh, Sammy Fableman mm-hmm. and is just, I think the kid's going to have a huge future. He's so good. Mm-hmm. So, so good in this movie. Yeah. It reminded me of uh, watching West Side Story and seeing, uh, what's that gentleman's name? Um, uh, Mike. 
Feist. Yeah, who plays Feist. Riff. The in bad the movie. dude. It was like, oh, I've never seen this guy before. He's incredible, <laughs> and hopefully, he goes on to do uh, bigger, better things. I, I um, kind of got a sense of like 400 blows from this movie too. Like mm. there is um, the actor who plays Antoine du- uh, Duanel. Like yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Similar, similar. All right, folks. Uh, well, why don't we get to spoilers for uh, the Fableman starting right now? Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. You know, guys, this week I watched a Steven Spielberg movie where the main character was watching and manipulating video footage and then discovers a shocking secret. (laughs) <laughs> All while classical music plays in the background. Uh-huh. But enough about Minority Report. <laughs> Let's talk about spoilers well for the Fablemans, guys. <laughs> Boom goes the dynamite. That's a good oh, one. Virtually identical movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's they have more, you know, they have more <laughs> they have very little mm. dissimilar between yeah, these two movies. Yeah. So um that that all that stuff, first of all, it was, it was a little odd to me. That a lot of the most revelatory stuff in the movie comes from documentary footage when Steven Spielberg like isn't generally like he's he's done stuff after Schindler's List with the Show Foundation and stuff, but like in general, he's not like well known for documentary footage. Right. Um, I do think it goes like generally to the theme of um movies can reveal things that like yeah. you didn't know yeah. were there. But it's it, it, it did strike me as a little weird the the documentary, like the you know, the revelation that his mom is having an emotional affair um, is revealed through this kind of family footage. Incredible scene though. Just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it blew my mind watching that scene and like, the way it's done in like, yeah. Um, the tactility of the scene, oh, the actual yeah. editing machine, scene everything, and the, editing. And the strips. Like, and, and on that note, good. one of the things I love about this movie is, and this is a huge problem with movies about movies, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is a lot of the footage that they show that the people make doesn't look realistic. It doesn't yeah. look like yeah. footage right. that was actually shot. Into the Fablemans, it looks like this guy actually actually used the 16 millimeter. I don't know how realistic that is, but like they explain, they show him like actually physically editing the thing. Mm-hmm. They talk about like the cool little tricks, like poking the pin pricks in the film and all this stuff, and it feels all very plausible. Like this kid could have actually made the stuff that you see on screen. Sure. And yeah. That yeah. in and of itself is like a big accomplishment because most of the time, I'll give you just an example off the top of my head. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, you know, like on that, on in that, they, one they of like the most make... elaborately produced shows. Indeed. The same equal yeah. budget to yeah. a Spielberg movie. <laughs> well, exactly. in that show, they make like these like lethal weapon sequels or whatever. <laughs> and you watch the footage and it's like, it's very goofy and, rough but it's like it looks like it was actually done with a professional camera crew and all this and so many times when they're like doing the, when they're sweeting these movies it looks like not someone that someone in the actual movie could have made but in this movie it's like very, it feels very authentic like the filmmaking yeah. feels very authentic <laughs> all that stuff was so amazing when he's shooting with the with the uh, soldiers and they all like get up and go and like play dead on the other it's like this is like mm, it's so I love ama- that scene it's like, where, where his dad's like hey could you uh, do the thing for your mom he's like I have 40 people coming tomorrow <laughs> to shoot. And he's like, yeah, 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 I know. But like, this is more important. He's like, 40 people, dad. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I know. I, I will. <laughs> so I, I love all the filmmaking, all the behind the scenes. It's so great. I will say the final scene with the bully, I will agree with you guys, was like pretty ridiculous. Like, 
I feel like that that may be one of the good one of the highlights. Oh, really? Because for, for me, I was like, that's when my suspension. That's of when disbelief. you. That's when you ran up. That's when I perked up, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Because this movie, it's revealing well, the, the, something. The, the mm-hmm. film that he makes with the bully, that all makes sense to me. Like, and yeah, yeah. the idea of like, first of all, I love how he takes the screws to the guy who's like the most virulently racist. Like, yes, humiliate yeah. that guy. Good. <laughs> um, but then he like makes this bully out to be an Adonis. Again, the footage looks great. It like looks plausible. And it's yep. very, you can see like, oh, he's so creative. Like he's making ice cream look like bird poop. Like that's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the bully comes and gives this very like didactic speech about, how like that's not me at all. I have all these insecurities that you, the viewer, didn't really know about, and I'm like, okay, I think that like, actor plays it really well. Like for, for me, the Judd, great, yeah, the but... Judd Hirsch thing was far more like, listen, I'm your crazy uncle. I'm here for one <laughs> night. I need to tell you your whole life. So listen <laughs> oh, to me. I loved it. I loved oh him. man, uh, yeah, I, I did and, love oh, that as well. But yeah. By the so, way, uh, your grandma's ghost said I was coming. Therefore, like, just a lot of stuff wrapped in there. The bully thing felt like we don't always see ourselves right or we don't always mm. know ourselves very well and that that bullies revelation about that and also the racist asshole i mean they're they're all racist assholes but the one the instigator the true like anti-semite comes in and the way the bully just like kind of steps in and deflects and pushes the kid out the way and he runs out like he goes from being an enabler of yes. this behavior and just saying no, or at least in this instance. And I, I, found I was that, on board with it. I was all yeah. on board with it until the bully gives that long speech. Like, yeah, when the bully like watches it and he has this realization, he's like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god!" Like, you know, that's not how I see my child. That all worked for me. Then yeah. he like has a talk with him that's very emotional and yeah. and over yeah. the top, in my opinion, and very. I would, earnest, I would have, I would earnest, rather keep that you know? and lose some of the stuff earlier in this movie too. Because yeah, I get, yeah, I, you yeah. know, different things work for us. Like mm-hmm. for me and Jeff, like the Judd Hirsch stuff was like a home run you know i mean like, her stuff yeah. is good but it's also like talk about like um telegraphing what is gonna be happening he's like oh no grandma's ghost the curse judd hirsch appears a wild judd hirsch appears and you know you know shit's gonna go shit's gonna go crazy and it's basically it's basically like what we were assuming i think he, the the quiet stuff in the judd hirsch scene where he talks about oh your mother you know was playing and you know the the his sister the grandmother was not really encouraging of it I think that whole discussion was great. But when he goes into the like, you know, this it's about art and family and art's always going to win. Um, maybe but a I bit think, too much. I, yeah. I think it articulates something that like Jeff and yes. I feel very yes. acutely. Right. Which is <laughs> that like anytime you try to be you. creative, anytime you try to be creative, um, it's uh, it. A, the family doesn't respect it. B, it like removes <laughs> you from the family in a way. You know, like yeah. it is antithetical to to family in some ways because you're kind of committing your heart and soul to something that is not the family. Well, and, not, not the family, but also not practical, right? Not yeah, yeah. It's both those things. Both those things. Both those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jeff, go ahead. What were you going to say? I also, it was the moment in the movie where it being a fable worked best for me. You know, this mm-hmm. this thing that is very much a classical notion of, of of a sort of a soothsayer coming in and laying it all out and saying, hey, sure, this is, you know, you, this is your life. This is your lot in life. You, you know, you are, you are like me. We are the same, you know, put your head in the lion's mouth. And, yeah. and uh, that wasn't art. It was, you know, you know, not, not having it bite me was art. It, it's like, yeah. It's all. I just loved all of it, man. I, I just, loved I, it. I loved it too. Yeah. Yeah. It was the. It was the point where the movie. I felt like it earned its sort of mm-hmm. over the top kind of uh, larger than life notion. Um, I wish and Judd, uh, Judd Hirsch. You know, I, I've I've mm-hmm. enjoyed Judd Hirsch's movies, but like I was like, oh man, this guy can freaking act. Yeah. You know, like he's, 
in, in spectacular. a spectacular a, a way. I don't have the names in the movie. I, I felt like he's been powerful in a bunch of things at this point. I do want to point out um, the final scene, the yeah. John well, Ford Before we scene. get there, before yeah. we, I want to talk about it. Before we get there, though, mm-hmm. um, I just want to say I like how Steven Spielberg just randomly took a bat to, you know, conservative Christian girls in high school. Just like Dude. randomly, it's just like okay. so good. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm sure so he funny. experienced. Yeah, a couple no, no, of no, them. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying he was wrong. I'm, I'm just saying like it's like oh wow, he didn't. Didn't expect that in this movie, but here it is, yeah. and I welcome it. I welcome here it. Here it is, and it's also uh, like wasn't wasn't fully vilified or anything either. No, no, she ends it, up becoming the girlfriend, even though like I think what to, doing that and forcing somebody to be like okay, accept Jesus, like it's a uh, it's a little shitty. It's not great. I don't think she <laughs> ever ex- yeah. made him accept <laughs> no, Jesus. She, yeah. she, she no, wa- she's she like, did you bring Jesus into her heart, into his heart? Like it was very like pushing but, it. Yeah, me, I mean, he, I don't he, know. He captured. He captured. <laughs> yeah. how for many christian young people Mm -hmm. um love of jesus is like directly adjacent to horniness right in a way that it typically isn't depicted and And, and the mental gymnastics that's required to do the thing you wanted to do in the first place but you have to justify it you have to put it into the jesus yes yes you have to go through all these twists and turns so in my opinion it, it was never about him Mm-hmm. Expe- yeah. uh, you know, accepting Jesus or not, she. I don't think she ultimately cared about. It. She yeah. has to yes. do the checklist of things to be able to do the things she wanted to do with him. Yeah, you know, yeah. agreed. And agreed. I, I've never seen that character yes. in a movie before, and yet I've met those people. I've interacted yeah, right. with. I those know people. it's so it's so good. It's very yeah. very true. I you know, I wouldn't say I've met someone exactly like that, but it right. definitely feels very. True to like that feels as with most of the movie, it feels about twenty to thirty percent more than what exactly. I've experienced. But it's yes. like you know, it's, it's I the understand. caricature of that character. But I know that character, you know. <laughs> agreed, agreed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, the the shot of when it, like they're having the, all the close up, close up, and the shot of the bed with the big heart. I was yeah. just like, yeah. Oh my! It's it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, yeah, when it, and when the camera pans over and you see Jesus like over the yeah, it's really yeah, very good. Okay, let's talk about the final scene. So in the concluding scene of this movie. Um, which I personally think is more of a denouement than like the actual ending of the emotional sure, story. Sure. Um, the main character, Sammy Fableman, meets legendary director John Ford. Um, and played by David played Lynch. By David played by David Lynch. As soon as he started talking, <laughs> so I was like, oh, casting. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So who, Devendra, who do we get to play the greatest director ever, or at least of his time? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Devendra, Lynch. what what did you think of this scene? I mean, I just thought it was uh, it was very playful in a way that I wish the rest of the movie was. I agree. Okay? I yes. agree. Because there's like it, and Lynch is just like leaning into it, like this hard ass, you know, guy. It takes takes a minute to light the, the the cigar and like really rebels in it too. It does feel like man, this movie is ticking down. Like I'm watching, I'm I'm looking at my clock. I'm like, this movie should be done about now, right? And just wasting time on something like that. But I think his his whole thing is just like, yeah, where's the horizon? Here, here is my old school classical thinking about the horizon. That's it, kid. Get out. I need. It. I would love to see like more sparks of that, or at least more of what Spielberg had gone through, at least in early Hollywood stuff. I guess like if he ever does a sequel, like maybe he will follow up with his more of his Hollywood experiences. But I felt the movie wasn't as playful as it could have been, and that one scene kind of brought it home for me, at least. And then certainly the ending shot was fun. I totally yeah. agree about the playfulness and, mm-hmm. and and that ending shot is playful, right? It's it's the <laughs> director talking to the audience. And I wish I wish the movie embraced that more. I, I seeing that at the end made me go, oh my gosh, 
this could have been the whole movie. The whole movie could have felt like this, this wink, wink, nudge, nudge of the, but again, Spielberg's not interested in, in that until the end. That's just this mm-hmm. kind of fun yeah. little, it's like a little walk button. out the theater. Yeah. Yeah. Button. But, uh, what he's much more interested in is is this is is, is sort of a deeper uh, thing that I don't think he had really achieves. It, it it feels like a presentation of of depth rather than a real uh, you know churning of the depths mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, hearing you guys talk about it does occur to me like this is probably something that would have been better as like a six part movie or something or a six part miniseries, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Where you can like really dive into some of these family dynamics. I feel like we barely got to know the sisters, you know, in this at all. And, Oh yeah. And there's that get, one scene yeah. where the sister, this beautiful, it's yeah. like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to know more about that. This actress is amazing. And, yeah. and you know, it's unfortunate. And Ultimately, well, like Julia Butters is the name of the actor. She was, I think, the young actress in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, huh. If you remember that scene, I think it's Brad Pitt's character talks to her. Or yeah, she's of, amazing. In that. Or uh, the other guy talks to her. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but she, yeah, she's great in that movie as well. Um, mm-hmm. Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, actually talks to her um, on set. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think that as I'm thinking about it, you know, you, you guys are making good points about like how. I do think like all the characters other than Sammy Fableman and to some degree, Sammy Fableman are pretty thinly drawn, you know, like yeah. they're, they are archetypes. They're like ideas more than they are characters. Probably Michelle Williams gets the fullest yeah. uh, development. Mm-hmm. Um, Except she fully disappears like by, by the end, you know, yeah. where I, she's not in their life, but I would have liked a little more. I don't know. I, I think that the scene when, first of all, like the scene when he discovers her emotional affair, Mm-hmm. is re- just really well done. The music, the way it's edited, the way it's shot, like the camera spinning around him, I thought that was all amazing. And then they sh- he plays that footage for her. He's, I guess he's made like a short film of all the greatest hits of that. And like mm-hmm. he plays it for her. And then the second time, you don't see the footage. You only see her reaction, her reaction to the footage. To it, which is important. And it's, you know, it's, my, my, it's a brilliant it's, it's moment. It's a brilliant moment. And then she comes out. She's, you know, it's a super powerful moment. It's like a top most emotional moment of any movie this year, in my mm. opinion. My um, brain is so yeah. broken, though, I couldn't help but think of the, uh, there's a TikTok meme, and a great one, that uses the incredible score. It was just like, there's the TikTok about, like, did did Scar eat Mufasa? <laughs> and somebody, it's somebody, like, going through the details. Is he holding a lion skull? It's the incredible theme, like, mm-hmm. the villain theme kind of building up, da-da-da-da-da. It's basically <laughs> that whole thing. I can't wait for the edit on this because that's essentially <laughs> that's what that scene. Is. Yeah, you're right. That that does seem like it might become a. Th- you know how like mm-hmm. um, there's this thing of like taking extremely serious, upsetting scenes from movies and converting them into memes. So like one popular example of that is in Marriage Story. Yeah, um, Adam, yeah. what's his name? Driver. Adam Driver, mm-hmm. like punching the wall. Like people have used that to, as a funny meme now. Yeah. So Michelle Williams, like learning that her son has uncovered the, uh, <laughs> you know, evidence of her affair is going to be probably the next one. But anyway, uh, any other thoughts on the Fablemans? I loved it. It's mm-hmm. good to hear your guys' disagreement and kind of under, yeah. you know. I'm glad. I'm glad I yeah. watched it. I yeah. do yeah. like yeah. it overall. It's just. I was expecting more. Like I do the idea of Spielberg making a semi autobiographical movie about his own life. Maybe I just wanted a little more, but Hey, I'm glad he got to tell the story at the least. I think it relies a lot on aesthetics, Mm -hmm. but you're talking about one of the greatest filmmakers alive. So he can like, there's a scene when like the young kid is like holding 
the movie in his hand. That's it. That's it. It's being projected yeah. on his head. It's the it's entire like, yeah. movie right there. And yeah, yeah. It's like, and it's like okay, that's pretty on the nose imagery, but it's also really beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's also right. really beautiful, <laughs> and it's like okay, like, um, I get it. I get it. I get it. And I, I and I'm cool with it. I'm cool. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'm sorry you guys didn't like it quite as much, but I'm glad you guys still enjoyed watching it. And I think people should check it out. It's the Fablemans. And at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Steven Spielberg made a movie. All right, folks, let's get to the end of this. This brings us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McCune from The Midnight. Check out his new band, Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Uh, our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week on the podcast, it's going to be Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. <laughs> couple things about this movie before we wrap up. Number one, uh, I am uh, I, I do want to say, if you're listening to this right now on the day the podcast comes out, you have less than 48 hours to see this movie in a theater. <laughs> it's, um, uh, no, it's actually the 29th. It's the last day. So oh, as you're yes. listening to this. That's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, go right go, down to the go theater. Tonight, go tonight to see it, or else you won't be able to yeah. see it anymore. It will be available on Netflix on the 23rd. Um, we wanted to just get our review out there because a lot of people did see it this last weekend. And um, and that way you can have it banked for when it hits Netflix on the 23rd of December. Um, but uh, yeah, so you, you have to go see it tonight, I guess. And probably by the time you're listening to this, it's too late, but you know, <laughs> bank the review and listen to it in the twenty third. Um, the other thing is, guys, knives out. I'm oh, sorry, glass onion and knives out mystery. What do you guys feel about that? Like, um, you know, call it only should, says glass onion. Could this should be, be a, a uh, um, what's his name mystery? I think a, a Benoit um, Blanc. Benoit mystery, Blanc you mystery. Know, yeah, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta well, reference knives out, the knives first out movie. two. Like, why not just call it knives out two? That, it's like that kills it. That kills no, it. <laughs> this is you know, yeah. this is the, the the thing with mystery series. You know, the yeah. uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Poirot. Yeah. They're always they always have unique name. You know, right. like uh, Bond movies. They always always have unique names. But I feel like it should have been a you like make. make I agree. I agree. Benoit, Benoit, Blanc, yeah. Benoit Blanc the. Char- make uh, elevate the character into yeah. that. Uh, maybe you know. maybe for the third one, they just keep messing with the subtitle. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The it's third like one a is going to be different a, structure. It's like yeah. The third one is going to be a glass onion knives out mystery. <laughs> 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 Whatever the name, and then you know. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I think there's going to be a lot to discuss when we uh, talk about glass onion the knives out mystery next week, right here on the Filmcast. Thank you so much for listening, folks. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week for another episode. Goodbye.